Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, and welcome everybody to another episode of Podstruckman. I'm your host, Shwinipu. This is episode 325. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Stacey. That is at StaceyPan89 on Twitter. Stacey, how are you doing on this uh, very nice Monday morning? Yeah, it's uh, it's a little bit cooler, it feels like. so. Uh, but uh, yeah, doing pretty well. Got some nice hooping in this weekend. And uh, saw a great tennis match yesterday, which was nice to avoid uh, a certain horrible amount of discourse about the FIBA game on Twitter. So. Yes, uh, not enjoyable discourse. Uh, but hopefully we will get into some enjoyable discourse. Uh, before we do that, though, I do have to make a few announcements. The first being that the Strickland has an Instagram. Check that out. That is at the Strickland Land on Instagram. Posting all kinds of new content on there. The Strickland also has a YouTube channel where you maybe watch this podcast. If you are and you've not done so already, please hit like and subscribe to the channel. That would be a huge help to us. Strickland also has merchandise, which is available on our website. You can find that at www.thestrick.land. There's a link there to the store. T-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, coffee mugs, even water bottles, you name it, we've got it. Strickland also has a Patreon, which you can subscribe to. There are a number of different tiers. There is a $6 tier that gets access to Pod Strickland's podcast that I host every Friday with Prez. You also get access to the Strickland Mailbag, a.k.a. the Doug Bag, hosted by Andrew Steele. That comes out every other week alongside Dallas Amico. You also get access to the Strickland Discord where the conversation never stops. There are further tiers. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to Strickland Roll, my solo pod, where I rant and rave about the next even more. You also get access to wonderful premium articles by Matthew Miranda, one of the best in the business. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier that's come with a variety of additional benefits like listening on pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day, whether you choose to subscribe or not, and this would be possible without you. And none of this would be possible without Bet Online, which is your number one source for all your betting needs. The latest odds, lines, and match reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting in your favorite casino and card games, will be able to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Um, so, look, the FIBA thing, I, I don't really feel like it's worth discussing. Brunson did not have a great game. And apparently that means that he is now not good and should not start and Tyrus Halliburton absolutely needs to. Um, that's stupid, but um, feels like people are just really, really desperate to get off some takes. And uh, sure, yeah, they had an opportunity yesterday because of, again, uh, the first bad game he's played in FIBA so far. Um, and I, I don't I don't know that he was the problem. Like, they were saying, well, Ant got going after Halliburton came in. Brunson's a ball stopper. He took six shots yesterday. Um, he was usually giving the ball up pretty quickly after moving past half court. He hasn't really dominated the ball. Um, I do think that there is another player in the starting lineup who has that tendency, who I, I do think I struggled to, to mesh with Ant as well, and that's B.I., um, and um, and I think that um, so I think that there's there was multiple factors there, right? I think look that there are games where 
you know, the offense was stagnant. They couldn't get stops. And I think Halliburton played well on defense. That's not something he's done for most of his career, particularly on ball. But he was a little bit more effective against Schroeder on that end. And getting some stops allowed them to get into transition. And that's where Halliburton really excels. And he had it going. And um, and I think there's going to be games where he's going to play better than Brunson. There's going to be games where Brunson plays better than him. Um, I think it says something that, like, the most ball movement preachy coach of this generation, Kerr, went with Brunson. Like, maybe he's not this um, ball-stopping hindrance. And, you know, so it's just, um, it, you know, in, in certain contexts, a guy like Halliburton can really juice your offense, right? I think that um, he did impact winning in Indiana, um, which is not something I would have said in Sacramento. Um, and but he's he, and, and if he can improve as a defender and develop an in-between game, I think he can be better than Brunson. I think he can be an elite player. But, you know, in the playoffs, we haven't seen, you know, I don't think he would fall prey as much as like Harden did to the version to the mid-range. I think he has like a floater. He just chooses not to use it as much. Um, but, um, but you know, you're not like his, one of his biggest impacts is being able to push the pace and get the team out in transition. He's really good at that, but that slows down a bit in the playoffs. So will he be able to score in the half court? And, um, you know, that's, that's where we don't know. Um, I don't think he could carry the kind of load that Brunson had to on the Knicks, but it might be fair to say that he has some unique gifts that in other situations make him preferable, right? And I think you see that with FIBA. There's going to be other opponents they have where maybe they have a, more of an advantage on defense and, and you know, they can, and Brunson's more effective um, and, you know, in the half court and, or, or they won't be able to run as much. Um, but, you know, everyone's just um, removing a whole lot of nuance from the whole conversation. Um, yeah, I... I tend to feel like um, I don't even know that it's really that needs to be a very nuanced discussion. This is like a group of what? What is how many players? Of fifteen players, um, who are all to some degree among the best at their positions in the NBA, and the best of the best of the best. Sir. I know, right? Um, but among that group. Um, You'll have guys that need to sacrifice. You'll have guys that, in in playing in roles that are very different from what they are expected to do at the NBA level, and really probably what they've been expected to do throughout their careers, um, they struggle to adjust, to adapt, and um, thrive in those roles. I think that's something that Ingram is going through very much yeah. so. And I'm not trying to pick on him. It's just no. I mean, I think he's he's the biggest example of it in the team, where you're like, okay we need you to be more of a role player because that's just kind of like what we need you to do. And that's just not something, I mean, let's be real. He hasn't done that since he went, came to the NBA, you know, like he's been a pretty much a high usage on ball option his entire time in the league with the Lakers and with the Pelicans, like it's been that way. So asking him now to dial down his usage, you know, focus more on defense, hit spot up threes, all that type of stuff. It's just a different, thing and that's something that he's going through and you know yesterday I, look I, I'm pretty transparent about this I'm not exactly like super locked in on FIBA um, and and I'll say this I don't think I'm openly admitting this which is why I have not tweeted much about it or bothered to analyze it if you want any analysis of FIBA stuff go talk to Prez because he actually cares about it um, but like the amount of people who all of a sudden yesterday were 
very, very strongly opinionated about what Steve Kerr needs to do at the point card position. It's fucking bullshit. You think these people are watching FIBA every game? Because they were silent for five, like, and again, this is Steve Kerr, not Tibbs. This is Steve Kerr, not Tibbs, right? Watch the offense he runs. He's not some. But they're not. They're not watching. They're not. This is the thing. They're not watching. That's. It's very, very obvious that if you have, if you're silent about a player for the four games he plays well, then he plays poorly, and all of a sudden it's like, oh my god, this is why Tyrese Halliburton needs to start, and this is why Austin Reeves needs more minutes, and blah 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 blah. You're not watching the games, and you're you're probably, in all likelihood. You, it's confirmation bias. It's like, oh, I watched this one game, and it 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 aligns with my thinking. Therefore, it is true. And like, I mean, we're all guilty of that at various points with anything. I mean, you know, basketball and shit in life, whatever. But like, I mean, it's just obvious. It was just very obvious to me yesterday that like you had people that were waiting. They were like waiting on on Brunson to have a bad game. To, to get off these takes, and it's like, oh, well, his fucking advanced stats are better, and he's more impactful, and blah, 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 like, shut up. Man. And I, I don't even think Brunson played that poorly. He did, he get beat on defense. I think Shooter played, is, Shooter's an underrated player, and he's just a bad matchup. For Shooter's also, like, God in, in FIBA. In FIBA, yeah. And um, and he's, he's an underrated defender, too, but Brunson had eight points on six shots. Um, I don't think he was able to impact the game, and the U.S. did struggle. And, and ultimately, yeah, as a point guard, you take some responsibility for that. But I don't think that was because he was pounding the air of the ball. Um, I think that, you know, they probably needed to play a little faster. They needed to get some stops. And when that happened, they got out in transition. The dam really broke, right? And Ant got going, and, and Halberton was hot from three. Um, and that just that happens. That's why you have depth. That's why you have a bench. Sometimes you want to play this way. Sometimes you want to play another way, right? Um, you know, there's games where we want Brunson on ball and doing a lot of stuff. I think it's it's interesting to me, and I know maybe you didn't want to talk about this, but more than the FIBA stuff, it's like how this carries over to, um, you know, the Knicks roster, right? And a lot of the questions that have come up, it's like, well, Brunson dominates the ball a lot. Is that necessarily the best thing, right? Um, I think it's completely fair, for example, to say, you know, they should run more plays for RJ, right? They, they, I mean, they try to get him involved in that pistol action. I know you're probably more of a hard line on that because Brunson and Randall are generally much more efficient options. Um, but, you know, can you get him going downhill on curls and those kind of things, right? Um, or set up some plays for him to really um, to get the ball going downhill or to share the ball more. I think those are fair concerns. I think where people take it too far is like people say RJ needs to, like Brunson should move off ball. And I think a lot of the problems, even with kind of going to a more, more ball movement oriented system, is, you know, who who has shown themselves to be capable of, of allowing Brunson to, like, I think he's a willing off-ball player. When You see it a lot more when he plays it quickly. Um, who is, you know, who is going to step up and be that person? Maybe it is quickly. Maybe Arja takes a leap. I really think if he just improves his pull-up shooting, he can do a little bit more on-ball. Um, you know, maybe Randall with more experience, he, he just gets to a better level as a processor. But I think that's where it's really interesting. It's like, like, is this version of the Knicks, like, what kind of adaptations do we have to make on offense? And, you know, it shows up sometimes when teams that, that do get out in transition or, or can share the ball a little better, you know, we saw with Miami that can play multiple styles. But I think my take on that is that I don't think Brunson is necessarily the limiting factor there, you know? Maybe even Tibbs is, and it's it's a combination of things. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we have not seen Brunson in an offense until FIBA, really, where uh, there's a focus on using him off ball. 
Um, especially not in like any type of movement. You know, it's a lot of, like yeah, when he played with Luca in Dallas and last year in New York, sure, he's a valuable off ball player because he's a really good catch and shoot player. But you're not. He's good at relocating yeah, too. Yeah. That's something that a lot of like something you don't see from Trey. Well, I mean, Trey's not a good player, right? so there's that. Um, but like with Brunson, you know, you, but that's that's a person in theory who should be a good off ball player because he can shoot. But he can't, if all he you can't do is shoot. stand around and when, don't relocate, what is, when does Trey? When has Trey Young shot well from three? I mean, with the range involved. Yeah, if you shoot you a fucking bunch of shots from range and you don't make them, I don't know if that makes you a good shooter. It might make you a fucking idiot. Um, okay, so with another example, maybe I think like Brunson's a better off-ball player than, for example, Dame, right? Even though, can we agree Dame is a good shooter? I mean, I don't. I actually don't even know if he is a better off-ball player than Dame. I just think Dame is actually to me kind of someone. And this is where you don't know. Like, is it possible that Dame is the reason that he doesn't get a lot of off-ball usage? Maybe it's it's definitely possible. Um, but I also, but, but I, I, mean, I don't think his my, teams. I don't. I don't. I don't think this is the case for both Dame and Brunson. Like. I don't think the teams they've been on have necessarily completely tried, not even just prioritized it, but really tried to like make it a point of emphasis uh, of some, you know, okay, let's try to get him more. Look, we want to keep him at 20 shots a game, but let's try to make six of these something where he's coming off a curl, where we're running him off floppy um, or like use him as a screener and pick and pop or something like that. Like it's just something that we haven't seen enough of with Brunson and but I'm, I'm talking even simple things like relocating off ball, like moving towards the passer and those kind of things, not just standing around, right? He does, it's not like he just waits to take his turn. Yeah, I mean, I, I I, Brunson's like, kind of had to learn that um, in a way Dame never has because Brunson had to play off of Luka in Dallas. like he And even Randall yeah, and, for and, a large part well, of Well, yeah, he was just, he's stuff. never been the unequivocal maybe i mean i guess i think you could say at the end of last season he kind of emerged as that but he's never been the unequivocal i'm the guy on this team dude since college so he had to adapt he had to figure out ways to be um valuable and and earn his place right and like that's something that's very very different from dame who came in from day one and was like okay you're the franchise point guard go get it like um and if anything, I mean, that was actually kind of like, if you really want to go back, and I, look, this actually says more about him than it does about Dame, but that was like a point of contention with uh, LaMarcus Aldridge when he left for San Antonio about how much kind of like the organization was prioritizing Dame um, over him. But, you know, good choice by them because I would probably prioritize the better player too. Um, but like, yeah, I just... I don't know. I think the FIBA conversation is really stupid. And, and I say this as somebody who, like, I genuinely don't... If, if, if you don't want your guys to be horrible in FIBA, like, that, obviously, you don't want them to be horrible in any competition. So it's good to... Like, it makes me happy to see, you know, Brunson play well and RJ play well and, and all this stuff. And, and RJ has probably played... He's played, played better than well. He's played really, really fun good for Canada and quite honestly probably been their best player um not Shea Gilders Alexander but like it really does not mean a whole lot to me going in like this is kind of like what frustrates me where it's like why does this matter more than what we have seen in the NBA like I'm not saying yes yeah, 48 now like a flamethrower right. again like 29 well, points it's, or something. and it's also like like, you can tell me all this stuff about, oh, Halliburton's data is better, he's more impactful, he's a better playmaker, blah, 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 fine. But, like, 
I don't know why that should matter to me more than like the dude who balled out in the playoffs. And like, this isn't to say Halliburton is incapable of doing so. He might very well be, but he has not done it. So like, miss me with the whole like, oh, Halliburton's more impactful. Like, I don't know that. You can throw all this fucking data, all the advanced stats you want at me that was regular season specific, but until there's some kind of like playoff sample with Halliburton, I think it's worth wondering. And and and, 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 and there's to be, reasons to believe it would diminish right. in somewhat because he's not you're not gonna get as many transition opportunities. Um and um like I think that I think he will eventually develop more of a floater as they play in more important games as more and more of a mid range skill set. But right now it's like it's a very low small it's not really a big part of his game. He's efficient when he takes those, but he rarely does. So like yeah, again, and you know, I I had the conversation with Cranjus about this on Twitter and he was like yeah, you know, it's fair to say that um, for what the Knicks needed, they needed Brunson to be what he was. And the Pacers, you know, are playing fast and they want to get the ball out to shooters, right? It's, um, you know, it's okay to say that they have different skill sets. And depending on the deployment, I do think Brunson's going to be a little bit more playoff proof. But Caliburton's young and and I'm sh- and he's, you know, with his work ethic, I'm sure he will improve on defense and, um, and in mid-range as well. But yeah, to your point, like, why are we taking FIBA as the, as this, you know, deciding criteria. I mean, we see this all the time where guys suck in FIBA and it's like, it doesn't matter. They come back to the NBA. They're exactly who they were in the NBA. Uh, and we see guys ball out in FIBA and then come back to the NBA and they're not good in the NBA. We've seen this with Evan Fournier for like multiple years of his career, you know, like Frank. Nilekina. Yeah. We saw this with Frank. We've seen this with a bunch of guys. And like, so this is not me saying like it, the people that are very, very encouraged by what they've seen of RJ Barrett. Like I don't, I think you should be. I mean, it, it is encouraging when a guy plays well. And I think it's it's also worth noting, like, he's played well during games where a guy who's clearly much more valued, much more highly regarded around the league and by media and whoever, and SGA has struggled immensely. Um, and I think that that is encouraging to see from R.J. Barrett. But at the end of the day, like, I don't think this... Like, we can't look at FIBA and be like, okay, well, now that we've seen this from RJ, he should be the second option or the first option on the team, right? It just doesn't make it doesn't make any sense to evaluate it like that. And, like, you know, like, like the best example, I think, of this is to go back to Ingram. Like, do we really think now that Ingram is, like, bad at basketball because he's struggling at FIBA? Like, no, it's obvious. That's obviously ridiculous. Like, like if that was our conclusion, like, oh, Brandon Ingram, terrible basketball player. Like, clearly that's not the case. He's a good basketball player um, who's struggling to play in a different role and like all these guys to some extent aside from like ant like they're all adapting to play lesser roles and like i I saw a lot of people criticizing you know when josh hart was picked for the team right and it was like i mean first of all the entire like fiba discourse is just fucking insane i remember they were down like five in the first quarter of the first game they played people were like this team just isn't as dominant. Imagine if they had Trey yeah. Young, they'd be up thirty. Yeah, they're right? just not as dominant as past few teams. They end up winning the game by like fucking fifty. Um, but there are people like, "What the hell is Josh Hart doing here on this team?" And it's like, man, do you not get it? Like, do you really not understand why? One, if there were better players that were willing to go, I'm sure that TBUSA would have been happy to fucking have them. You know, like if Donovan Mitchell wanted to be at FIBA, he'd be there. Like. It, that's a fact, you know, like there are guys who would be there over Josh Hart if they wanted to be there. They didn't want to be there. The second part is when you have, look at the talent on this team, right? Brunson, Edwards, Halliburton, Caro, 
JJJ, BI, whatever, right? It, it, on and on. Some of these guys are being forced to sacrifice. So in some scenarios, it's also nice to have a player who is like eminently That's comfortable having to sacrifice because, like you said, it's it is his game. And so, like, I think there's value to that. And and you know, would you prefer just taking the talent versus taking the better? more optimal role player fit yeah of course you would but i think there's logic to that stuff and so like i don't know i i just i find the entire fiba conversation so it's like the most bored august nba twitter discourse like you don't need to have super strong takes about fucking fiba bro like you really don't i promise <laughs> you it'll be okay like it's just ridiculous i i don't understand it um and it, it's like this is why i've been extremely happy to be checked out although um getting to shit on hawks fans yesterday was nice i will say like from watching rj to kind of put it in a more positive direction it's interesting to see like i do think for both brunson and rj it's been illuminating to see kind of what they've actually done so a lot of the stuff that rj like first of all i think one of the things in fiba is they're playing him very close to the three-point line and like you pro like more defenders are going to go under and give him space in the nba because you know there's better scouting um, but he does look shiftier. Um, he definitely, like, I think a lot of the stuff he struggled with, the, the weight gain, I'm pretty encouraged with that. That, I think, is, is something tangible. And I will say, like, after especially watching Prez's um, documentary on, on, on RJ's three-point shot, it, that also looks to be, like, at least he can maybe have some optimism for him being league average this year. And that, like, so you can take away, I think, if you watch the games and see these are things that they have are doing. And, and same with Brunson, right? I I think like if there's one narrative that should be busted is that he's some ball stopper. If you watch FIBA, um, or if you watched him before, like this isn't a guy who like he he has a really he has a diverse bag or like isolation package, and, and Tibbs loves that. Um, but this is a guy who's been comfortable. I remember in the national championship game at Villanova, he was like their best player. He he scored the first two baskets of the game. He took Xavier Simpson down to the block and gave him the, the fadeaway that's become so famous. And then the rest of the game, he barely, he like, he was, like, Dante DiVincenzo was on a flamer. So he, um, he or flamethrower, he just gave him the ball every, every like, all the time. And he cooked, uh, it was mostly Jordan Poole, right? Um, so I think that you look at those things, and it's encouraging that these guys can do more things than maybe they show on the Knicks. And, um, and in RJ's case, things that you want to see because, um, because he has struggled at times with some of those things. Yeah, um, I, I, I just wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't just be like, this is it. It's, you know, take too much from a small sample. Like we kind of did with guys like Frank. And I mean, we've done, we've, so. we did this, we've done this with, I've done this with RJ, where it's like, oh, preseason, he's killing it. And it's like, all right, he's here, it's time. I mean, even a couple years ago, right, he has that like, that like 35-point game against New Orleans where he hit like three or four pull-up threes off the, off the bounce. And... You know, I'm sitting there like, this is it. Like, RJ is here. That's what I've been waiting for. And obviously, he didn't, it, the three point pull up shooting anyway hasn't come around to that level at all. Um, but like, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be, I guess, somewhat critical, but like, I didn't, I don't, re like, I don't really care about what RJ shot from the field. That was not at all what I was really interested in when I was watching him or when I was like, let me just see what he looks like in FIBA really a lot more interested in just kind of like how does he look physically how is he moving physically and i wouldn't say he looks like he, he's not he's never going to be the fastest guy in the world right so you're not gonna 
I'm not expecting him to all of a sudden just blow by dudes, you know, with like one dribble. But I am a little bit, I don't want to say concerned, but like, I do wish he he looked a little bit more svelte uh, than he is. He still looks quite gigantic and very, very jacked. Um, and, and I don't know, like, obviously towards the end of last season, especially in the playoffs, that didn't seem to hold him back in the way it did at times in the regular season. But when I'm just watching highlights of him and, and seeing clips of him during FIBA, I do wonder, like, is he, is this the optimal physical condition he should be in to get the best out of himself, you know, in terms of like getting to the rim and being this downhill player? Or would he still benefit from losing a little bit of weight? Yeah. Um, no, I, I think, um, I think like he, he's flashed more of some crossovers. I don't know if I would use the word laboring. Um, I haven't watched his closeouts as closely. I think that was the biggest thing um, early in the season where he just looked so out of position and slow closing out. Um, you know, I don't think, um, I think that as long as he can improve his change of direction, he'll be a little bit better at creating space. I, I still don't think like the lack of quickness is what holds him back as much as like, like no pull up game whatsoever. Right. So if he's just, so I think that, you know, if you want him to do more stuff on ball, He's, I think his best offense is still going to come off side pick and rolls, empty side pick and rolls, um, you know, with Mitch, um, where I think he has, he's one of the best lob passers on the team. Um, I think attacking from the middle of the floor is probably something you're still not going to want to do a ton of stuff with him um, unless, until he becomes like a very consistent pull-up shooter. But I still think like his best offense is going to come either on those kind of plays where I think like, I don't think a lack of speed is the issue there um, or just from demanding harder closeouts so that he can get downhill where again, like I don't think you have to be super fast to beat a closeout like that. Right. So I'm less, cons- so in terms of on offense, I don't think that's a big concern. Um, I, I like, I think laboring goes a bit too far. I get what you're saying. Like, you know, is he going to have, you know, we've seen him defend like John Morant before. Is he going to have that level of quick touch ability particularly on team yeah. defense, that's a little bit more of an open question. Yeah, laboring maybe is like, I think it's an extreme kind of verbiage of what I'm, or... But he doesn't look as fluid as... Yeah, like, I, it's like, like, I, I'll put it, like, when I say laboring, right, just as a very specific example, it would be like, I still feel like when he's going around a screen, he gets caught on it quite easily. You know, he's he's not able to bend and get over the screen the way you would ideally like to see that. Um, and look, some of this could be as... As simple as he is the second option, basically for Canada. Um, shout out to people who like love Mikhail Alexander Walker, though, who's definitely better than <laughs> I.J. Barrett, apparently. Um, but like, it, so it's a, it's it is more usage and a more prominent role than he has with the Knicks, obviously, where he's the third guy. Uh, so maybe maybe that's part of it, right? That that's definitely fair um, for anybody to bring up. But like, that's just again. I'm only reacting to like just how he looks physically to me. I don't think it's like I'm not super concerned about it. I'm not like, oh my god, like get ready for a disaster season from RJ. Like, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just giving like really it's just what I my gut instinct when I'm watching some of the stuff with him in FIBA and it's like, you know, is that I mean who what what is the uh, real takeaway from all that, and what does it mean? Like we've said, you know, FIBA is kind of 
its own thing and it's different obviously than NBA basketball and all that shit. So like, I don't know how much to take away from it, which is why like I kind of have just stayed away from <laughs> discussing it very much. And I'm also, I'll be quite honest. I'm not really that interested in it. Like I don't really give a fuck. Um, it's cool. Like when it's on and I can just throw it on and yeah, let's watch some basketball, but I'm not very interested in like the, um, <laughs> the actual gameplay um, or analyzing it. <laughs> I find your lack of patriotism concerning. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I wanted to switch gears a little bit because I do think this is um, interesting. I was thinking about this the other day and like, I've been thinking a lot about how, you know, um, if like I, I just kind of went down a rabbit hole and I, I was I brought back to last summer and kind of around this time, right? This is when Donovan Mitchell was traded, obviously with the Cavs instead of the Knicks. Um, and I was interest, and it was interesting how like obviously there are a lot of people who were very disappointed the Knicks didn't get Donovan Mitchell and and all that stuff. And then you know, for people who were a little bit more optimistic about not getting him and the overall team situation at that point. Um, I include myself in that group. It was kind of like, well, like the Knicks still have all of their ammo to go get another guy, right? They, they can get, if another guy comes available, they'll have the ammo to get that person. And um, obviously we know the Knicks had a successful season. They ended up beating the Cavs in the first round. And I think in beating the Cavs, this is less about the Knicks, by the way, more about the Cavs Uh, in beating the Cavs. uh, I do think they, laid bare a few of their issues, one which the Cavs have obviously tried to remedy this offseason by adding shooting in the form of Max Struess and George Niang. But the other is, I mean, those guys can help in figuring this out, but it is that they don't have a, they don't have much flexibility in terms of reshaping and reimagining the roster, aside from trading actual players at this point. And why I think that is interesting is obviously like we saw in the Knicks first round playoff series, Evan Mobley is very much not a significant offensive threat yet at this point in his career. As good as he is defensively and as much kind of latent talent as exists with within him, um, I don't think obviously we saw like the issues he has and and that his individual issues hurt them on a team level, especially because they play him at the four and Jared Allen at the five and Jared Allen is another guy who is not exactly spreading the floor, doing much with the rock and why I wanted to bring this up is I have a hypothetical question, which I find very, very interesting. And I, this ties to the Knicks and it ties to the Cavs also. What is, let's imagine a world where Don Mitchell did not get traded last summer. And let's imagine this world now where Don Mitchell was on the market this summer. We obviously have no idea what that would mean for, you know, would Laurie Markkinen have been, how good would he have been in Cleveland this past year? Would they have kept Colin Sexton and how good would he have been, right? We don't know these things. So it is kind of a very major projection to make. But my question is this, knowing what you know now about both the Knicks and the Cavs, do you think, one, that the Cavs would have given up a significant or as significant a haul as they did for Donovan Mitchell. And basically, you know, they were, they're, they're fully pot committed now, right. To use uh, some, some poker language, but like they have put in everything in, into the mix in terms of picks and um, stuff like that. So 
do you think that in doing so, um, that so would they would they still make that big move for Donovan Mitchell, or or do we believe that? Um, do do we believe that the Knicks would match or even exceed that offer after having the season they just had um, in this same scenario? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think a lot of the talk now, I mean, especially with how much time Mitchell spends in New York, you know, he's friends with a lot of guys in the team, obviously has roots here. Um, you know, and, and a lot of the noise that's coming out is nobody expects him to re-sign with the Cavs after, what is it, two seasons left now? Uh, yeah, he has two years left on his contract. Um, having said that, um, do I think the Cavs do it again? Yeah, I think they still do it. Um, I think it's it's hindsight, too. I think that with Mobley, I, I still think the offensive potential is there. Remember his rookie year, and I get it's one game. But he, he dropped, what was it, like 20 and 12 on the Knicks? Um, went like two for four from three. Um, he was really giving them the business on offense. Um, I think that's around the time, you know, you were throwing around the Tim Duncan comp. Slim um, Duncan, yes. Slim Duncan, yeah. Um, and um, I think it's less a case that his offense is concerning. But if he, if he had, you know, I think he just, it didn't improve as much as you might have hoped given how, you know, how polished he appeared at times as a rookie. Um, you know, the, the, the post game, I, I didn't see it as much, you know, using his length over guys. You saw it at times, even in the Knicks series. Um, but, you know, doesn't have a great perimeter shot and isn't some kind of post, uh, really dominant post player yet. Um, I think they were betting on the fact that he would reach that level um, over the next three years. And I don't think that was a bad bet at the time. I still don't think it's a horrible bet. Um, I think he's, um, you know, he's still very young. Um, but they had, a, they had, you know, they had a, a franchise player in him. They, had, they, they believed they had a really good player in Garland. And they saw an opportunity to, to cash in some chips. Um, if Mitchell walks away for nothing, do I think it looks bad? Yes, but this is a this is a team that is not going to. I mean, free agency is gone as we know it. Um, I think they were betting on the fact that maybe Garland or Mitchell can't be your best player on a championship team. But um, but there's a their specific flaws get covered up, and they have. I mean, the, the Cavs issue was not defense against the Knicks, and they're the top defense in the league. Um, so they were betting on the fact that that would that makes you know playing those two together more of a fit. Um, I think they were betting on improved defense from Mitchell, which we saw on, on, for most of the season. Um, and I think they were betting on the fact that eventually Mobley would become that guy, or at worst case, would be close enough to that guy where you could convince Mitchell to resign because you're at title contention range. Um, I don't think it helped that they lost in the first round to a team that many expected them to beat. Um, and so I think the Cavs, though, still would do it again. I don't think they're in panic mode. Um, I do think if they if they don't improve this year, their result, um, then they might be. But I still think, you know, I, I wouldn't say mobile stagnating. I just think he probably didn't reach the level they need him to be at or were betting he would get to at some point before Mitchell's contract was up that, um, you know, yet. Uh, as far as with the Knicks, I think the Knicks do the same thing, um, you know, like some people have soured on RJ. I personally don't believe they're there yet. Um, but it would, it would, it wasn't just RJ and picks, right? It would have been, what was the, the what, do you, what was the offer that would have needed to beat that? 
well, I mean, this is the part that makes it very hard to to know because Markin obviously had a monster year for Utah, so you would expect, especially given the number it's at, I think it's like fifteen million a year. It's locked in for maybe two more years. Um, like he's he's the best asset between both the teams in this hypothetical scenario, but would he have had that role and would he have been perceived as such with the Cavs? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't think so because he likely would not have been prioritized in the way that he was in Utah. And we saw that the year before where he was definitely good for the Cavs, but he was not like, you know, nobody was anybody that was sitting around acting like, they were expecting some all-star jump from Markinen is full of shit. You know, nobody was expecting that. So, like, that's the part that's hard to know. But let's say, let's let's just say that he's still viewed as the better asset after last season, even if he stayed with the Cavs. Um, would would a team still feel maybe that the Knicks' future picks are a better? I guess bet like better to bet against. Is it better to bet against the Knicks future than it is the Cavs future uh, in this scenario? I think that still could be a reasonable thing. And I also suspect that if they did not get Donovan Mitchell and Mobley, uh, I, I think Mobley would have shown more because he would have been a more, a higher priority offensively um, without Donovan Mitchell there, which is why I think some of, you know, maybe I know his percentages improved last year, but I do think we didn't see some of the higher level offensive flashes that we did see from him as a rookie. Um, and so, like, I, I think we would have seen more of that last year in that scenario. So I do want and I look, look, let's let's fucking put the cards on the table here. Like if you ask somebody, if you ask the majority of NBA fans like today. Who who has a brighter future, the Knicks or the Cavs? Almost everybody is still saying the Cavs, which, whatever. I'm not, I don't really care to debate that because I just don't really understand it. But like, I think that that is a common sentiment. And I, I think it's a sentiment that's probably shared around various front offices in the NBA, even if there's a little bit more discrepancy there. So I still feel like RJ Barrett, three unprotected Knicks picks, you still have these various protected ones they could throw in there. Let's say you throw in a couple. Quickly is probably a more valuable piece now. Are they willing to put quickly in? Like, I don't know. I, I think it's it's an interesting question because undoubtedly you would think both quickly and Grimes definitely held they hold more value now than they did at that time where it felt like the only people that valued them were Knicks fans, right? It was like everybody else is like, well, of course you trade Quentin Grimes for Donovan Mitchell. That's ridiculous. Um, and I, look, I think that's still probably the common sentiment, but he's definitely viewed as a stronger asset now. Same with quickly. And so I, I'm not actually entirely sure what the trade would be. I do feel this is interesting because we know the Knicks have at least kicked the tires a little bit on looking at guys who would conceivably come into the lineup for R.J. Barrett. Would they be more willing to risk a major package after having the season they had because they felt they were closer to contention for somebody like Donovan Mitchell, who is young, who is durable, and who they and we know they obviously very like think of him very highly. Would they be more inclined to pay that premium because they felt closer to contention? Or would they 
exhibit the same type of patience they exhibited again this summer where they were like, let's pass. Let's see what our, like, I, I don't know. I think that's a very, very tough. I, I, I really wonder that. I, I think it's a tough one to answer. Um, I mean, I think we just saw some of the inherent flaws of a Brunson Mitchell. Like, I, I agree. Yeah. Garland is the best defender out of those three, probably. Yeah. Um, and uh, so you, you're having the same issues as the Cavs. Um, you know, Randall's obviously a better offensive player than Mobley, but hasn't necessarily. So you have these two dynamic offensive players for sure playing next to, um, you know, especially if you're sending out Grimes, then you're, it's either Hart or Barjay. So an unproven shooter at the three at best. Um, you know, Randall is a, it's his own thing. He's a willing shooter, not a great shooter. And then you have no spacing at the five. So spacing would really get hurt. And also now I think the defense, like, you know, RJ is not some great defender. No, Mitchell's not a very good one. Um, and so, it's, I mean, so we, we'd be sending out Grimes and or quickly, right? That's what you're saying? Or, or both? Yeah. Been. Well, I'm saying I'm, I, I'm just positing that, like, both of those guys would be more positive assets than they are today. And we know that one of the hangups in the deal last summer was the Knicks' unwillingness to include additional first-round picks um, and wanting their young players to be valued you know, as genuine commodities in the trade, which like, I think now after the season that was just had, they have a much stronger leg to stand on there. Would Utah agree with that? I don't know. Like, I don't know if Utah would be like, well, now that like we've seen what quickly can do in a more prominent role, we really like him. So yeah, we'll take two first round picks instead of three. You know, like, I don't, I don't know that. And that's what makes it tough. But like, I, if we did it at this point, I might value those two players, especially if I'm bringing in Mitchell more than picks because you need quality defenders around him. You need, if, if you are starting Mitchell and Brunson, you have to have a really good defender at the three. We already have one in, in Grimes. You could say, well, reload in the draft, get a longer wing. It's really, it takes, Grimes is very unique in that he was a great, he's a really good defender off the bat. You absolutely need to keep Grimes. I would prefer to keep quickly too, because, you know, if you stagger Brunson and, and Mitchell, you're going to want the backcourt partner to be, um, someone who can both work with the ball in their hands and off ball, but can also add value on defense. So at this point, I would value those two. I'd be willing to, if it was just RJ and picks and then maybe like Deuce or whatever, I would do that. Um, I think the Knicks would. But if it's like RJ, if you have to, I think that Grimes and IQ, I'm not sure they want to trade them or Mitchell because I think Mitchell's obviously a way better player. But given what you give up there, um, does that like it, it? Does that put you that much closer to contention? I would say no. I think the Knicks would still have a lot of issues with spacing. Um, they would still have a lot of issues, uh, and then they would probably have more issues on defense. Um, yeah, I, I don't know that the Knicks are entirely. I don't want to say they don't care about defense. Obviously, they care about defense. I still think they value getting the offensive talent in. And figuring it out, like I, I think they believe in their ability to do that, which is why they were interested in Donovan Mitchell last offseason. Like they, we knew, we knew last offseason that Brunson was already in the bag, and um, like you think they expected this from Brunson, though. I don't know if they expected exactly what we saw, but like I do think they expected him to be very good. I mean, he. The thing is, I I know people are acting like this was some like. How could we have seen this coming? And the guy averaged like twenty and seven last year in Dallas when Luca didn't play, and it was like twenty five games or something. It wasn't like you know we saw him drop forty in a playoff game without Luca. But, but do you think the fact that he's now 
you're right about those things, but now that we've seen it for a full season, him functioning for half a season as almost a 30-point-per-game guy, you now have a dynamic backcourt score. Does that lessen the allure a little bit of adding? I do think Mitchell's a better offensive player than than Brunson. Um, he's certainly better at, at, at certain things, for sure. Do you think that lessens the allure, though, of adding someone with a similar skill set? The fact that Brunson just did this, like for a full season. I don't. I still feel like they would look at that playoffs and be like, we needed another scorer. Right? Like, I mean, I I don't even think that's a wrong. I don't don't feel it's that simplistic, but to simplify it, um, like, I think they would conceivably just look at the playoffs and be like, well, we clearly need another scorer. And. If let's say let's let's just let's 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 run with this. Let's say that you call Utah. They called Utah, and Utah was like, "Look, that's fine. We'll do RJ. We'll do give us give us your give us all your unprotected picks, and that's we don't care about anything else. Just give us that. That's the deal, right?" Well, I don't know that they would have felt great doing that because we know that they value flexibility. Obviously, that cuts significantly into your flexibility, but. um I also wonder if they would look at it and be like, well, we were on the cusp of getting to the conference finals and our offense completely cratered out, right? Like aside from Brunson, and I know RJ had a nice playoff, so I don't want to get do this whole thing again, but like the offense cratered, right? And if you look at the non-Brunson minutes in the playoffs, they basically like could not score the fucking basketball when he was off the floor, regardless of who else was on. So I think they could look at that and be like, well, while this leaves us very inflexible, we think Mitchell gives us enough. Like he puts us into genuine contention. I don't know. I don't think I agree with that. Um, but like, I also don't. If it's just RJ and picks and everything else is the same, so Grime is still here, quickly still here. You know, Hart, all Randall. that stuff. Yeah, Randall. Like if if all of the rest is the same. Okay, so you have to trade Forney is expiring uh, with RJ to make the numbers work. Oh no, like, um, but like, is it FIBA Forney? Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. We, that's true. We need to value that. Um, I think they might do it. I think they do it, and I don't. And I actually think the Cavs would not be interested in Donovan Mitchell this offseason in a scenario where they had like in this hypothetical world we're living in because I feel like Mobley would have shown a little more growth offensively. I think trading for Mitchell two years away from free agency versus three is a different scenario. And I also wonder if I don't, I think they might've had like the same season again where they finish in a play-in spot and maybe they don't make the playoffs after that. Like, and if if you finish in the same spot, yes, you obviously would want to improve. But do you feel confident in giving up as much draft capital as they did to make it happen? Like I don't know. I it's very very hard to answer. And I just feel like the Knicks would be more inclined to take the risk at this point than the Cavs would. Again, in this very very stupid hypothetical scenario I created. Um, which we cannot prove one or the other, but we will discuss. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think I think they would have been better than a play-in team. Um, so the the who's this? The six seed was um, what was the six seed? Brooklyn, right? Um. Yes. 
I think they would have been better than than Brooklyn. Um, I, I think Mobley did improve as a defender. Like he's a really good defender as a rookie, but like he's an All NBA defensive caliber player. Like they they had the best defense in the league. I don't think not making the trade for um, Mitchell would have changed that. Um, I think Garland could probably have picked up they, their offense would have been worse, but I still think they would have finished the sixth seed. Um, and you know the way these playoffs were, maybe you know. I think they would have been closer, but yeah, I think the big difference is it's now two years away. Um, <clears throat> but it, the other question is, Mitchell did take a leap this year. Maybe it's because he got out of Utah and was more motivated or whatever. But he, he averaged, I mean, he's on a heater for from three for most of the season. Um, you know that might have increased his value as well, and, and maybe made the Cavs feel like, because I would imagine, and the Cavs would have been motivated, I think, too, because. If they played the Celtics in the first round, they probably would have lost for the same reasons. Not enough offensive creation. Um, you know, Garland would have probably not had as much success in that role. So I think the Cavs would still do the trade. Um, unless Lowry... Re- well, if Lowry really showed out, I think that would have complicated things. The other thing in this landscape, though, that is interesting, and a reason why the Knicks might not just push in their chips for, um, for Mitchell is that, I mean... Do you think they would value Mitchell more than Joel Embiid? Do you think they would rather go after? They Giannis, can get Giannis? Mitchell now, right? Like, isn't that kind of? I, that's so, not I, how they've operated, though. But they, but they have not operated like they didn't operate. No, no, that's not how they operated last year. And they didn't operate like that last year because there was a lot more variance in where this team could be. Right? We didn't know what Brunson would be on this team. We didn't know. Um, how Brunson would pair with various guys in this team. We we had Randall coming off of whatever the fuck that season was. Um, like we had a lot more <coughs> things up in the air, um, and I think that was part of the reason why they were like, "Well, we really want to put all these picks on the table when we're not even sure what we are yet." But now I think they have a lot more certainty about what they are, and and to the point about like the defensive concerns between Brunson and Mitchell, which like, I'm going to be honest, I'm definitely being devil's advocate here because I would not advocate for them to do this trade even now. Um, but the Knicks were only 19th in defense last year. So it's not like you would be taking out, like if you sub Mitchell in for RJ, do I think there are definitely concerns with size and all that type of stuff, but like, are you really becoming a significantly worse defense? I don't think so. Um, and like, I don't, I think they Mitchell after Hart got here though, right? Not really. I think their offense just fucking took off the second half of the year. They were still not a good defense. Um, yeah, but again, this is, so in this scenario, we still have Grimes and quickly, right? So, and we still have Hart. Yeah. We get Hart because Hart arrives obviously last year. Um, I, I think I, there's an argument for it. I don't know. I just, and I also like, I, I take your point. I think it's a very good and a fair one that like, well, you know, if you waited this long to get a true star or whatever, um, shouldn't you wait a little bit longer when you can kind of see Joel Embiid potentially being available on the horizon, right? Or Giannis Antetokounmpo in, in a pie-in-the-sky scenario. But, like, but you also have to weigh the fact that your team is good right now. And if you think you're a piece away, what is it, what is it worth to to get that piece? What is the premium you're willing to pay? And like, 
I can't answer that. You know, I, I don't know, but I do feel like if the Knicks had were in this exact same situation this offseason, they would be more inclined to pay a premium to get John, Donovan Mitchell in-house now. And like that doesn't need to just be RJ, by the way. Like we it could be that they're more willing to include Emmanuel quickly in a trade, right? Or right. Yeah, or something, right? It just it, it could be any of these guys. I just I do feel like they might they they do it. I don't know. That's just my gut instinct when I think about it because we know that they they obviously are trying. They're not like sitting around. You know, th- this is not like a seven-year plan, right? Um, but and the the clock is now ticking, right? With Brunson on this contract, with Randall needing to be up, right? So that's another consideration. It's not like they can wait indefinitely for that reason as well. Um. Yeah, exactly. So it's just it's what it is. I. I I don't know. I, I I think the Cavs part of it is a little bit more interesting. It's it's more interesting to me than the Knicks part because I think the Knicks the Knicks one is a little bit. It's like there's not a lot to consider because we kind of we we don't have to we don't have to project what the Knicks would look like without Donovan Mitchell, right? We we know we saw it. Uh, it was very very fun. It was also fun to see Donovan Mitchell cry. Um, but like the Cavs have a lot more stuff up in the air, and I think the marketing thing is the part that's really, really interesting because the other part of it too is like, let's say Markkanen, let's say he's not an all-star year, but let's say he has a really good year. Um, would, would, wouldn't they, would they maybe have been more inclined this offseason to commit to Mobley at the five, move Jared Allen out and like reshape the team in that way versus making an aggressive play for Donovan Mitchell instead I don't know I think that's like a, that's on the on board right because you have to think well there, actually, there's also there's a there's a hypothetical there too do you think they would have explored trading for KD let's say they were like the seventh seed for fringe play in marketing's taking a step um and KD's all of a sudden available right maybe they make that trade instead KD um, Garland Mobley as you you know yeah yeah I mean I the the KD part is weird because ultimately I still think it's a better angle. I mean, it's what what the Nets got from Phoenix is a better offer than what the Cavs would have offered anyway, right? Like between or you're saying would Markinen go in this hypothetical KD yeah, trade? Yeah. So you're you're building around a core of KD, Mobley, right, right. and um, and Garland. I I don't know. I just. KD had a lot of like influence in where he ended up, right? I mean, I think that's fair to say from all the reporting was that like the Nets did him a solid because I mean, one they got everything they wanted, so it's not like they got nothing from the deal. But um, I'm sure there were teams that could have at least matched in terms of picks, maybe even exceeded in terms of picks and whatever. And they still sent him to the. He, I mean, they sent him to the team that we all knew he wanted to go to, right? So I don't know. I, I think that's hard to know, but like. I just, I really wonder, like, you know, you can, there's different ways they would have been able to go, and the one, and I actually, like, looking at their numbers, I, I know his rookie year, and I, look, they stuck defensive rebounding this year, they were awful, um, and I know as a rookie, they struggled defensively in the minutes that Mobley was on the floor without Jared Allen, uh, that was a lot different this past year. They were still really good defensively in the minutes uh, Mobley had to anchor the defense in, in place of Jared Allen. So, like, you're more able to talk yourself into, like, well, what if we go with Markin and, and Mobley at the 4-5 and five long term? 
And I, I, that's the, that, that actually interests me. And I, I feel like maybe that would be the way they pivoted instead of going after Donovan Mitchell. But I mean, it's hard to know. They, I mean, they did ultimately give up basically everything aside from their core three guys, right? Um, to get him. So clearly they were very, very interested in him as a player and obviously as an addition to the team. Yeah, um, and I think this the whole thing still looks a lot better if you believed he was going to stay. Um, you know, it's I think a lot of the noise about he just wants to come to New York. That, that's another scenario. Is that I guess since Brunson and Randall would be up for extension at that point, or I mean Brunson, we expect to opt out unless this plays a lot worse. Is it feasible for the Knicks to just wait? out Mitchell like what they what everyone wanted them to do with Mellow even though I think that was a little unrealistic you think the Mellow one was unrealistic I think Mellow wanted his money so if you're going to criticize Mellow for that have at it but like I think that the front office like it wasn't a realistic option for them to just sign him like he would have I think he would just extend it in Denver and then ask for a trade afterwards so well I it, well, that part of it is true I not that he would have extended in Denver but he did say that he would accept a trade to the Nets and extend there um, if the Knicks didn't get one done. But but do you think that's an option with Mitchell? Then if the Knicks can just say, okay, you want to come here, play out your two years, hey, you're on a good team, maybe you'll want to ring there, and then we'll, we'll, um, we'll sign you as a free agent. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think that it it is. I don't the numbers know. Numbers probably wouldn't work, right? Especially if you're signing Randall and Brunson again. It's that. That's let's let's ignore like the actual mechanics of making it happen. Is it realistic? Probably not, right? Because it's just like the money is so much now that who's the last guy we saw turn like and the James Harden thing? I think is instructive of this, where it's like. It's easy for us to be like, well, you're going to get that money anyways, right? And like that's kind of what happened with Harden, right? It's like, look, just take a pay cut and you, don't worry. You're going to get made whole in one summer. And, and obviously now we know that um, <laughs> not so much, <laughs> not so much. But like – and obviously Mitchell is younger and more durable and doesn't – hasn't quit on like 15 teams in the last two, two months. Um, but – I think you would have to bet against him hitting free agency because again, like nobody does really. And when the and we've seen like guys taking pay cuts and stuff like that is not it ends up biting them in the back. I mean, this happened with Kyrie too. Kyrie turned down an extension. I mean, and and good for him. He got traded to Dallas and he still got forty million a year. But like, it's not the full max. It's not the max that he was offered in in Brooklyn. So, you know, I. I don't think you could bet on on Mitchell making it to to free agency. Um, Mello's stupid. Mello should have hit free agency. He's a fucking moron. Ah, wonder uh, wonder if that even or they could have just traded Landry Fields instead. Of I mean, they Landry. also could have just like not. They they operated like like this is kind of what I appreciate about this front office where they haven't operated like whatever current stars on the market is the last star who will ever be on the market. Um, which is basically how they treated Carmelo at that time was like, he is no one will ever be available again. This is it. It, it has to happen right now. Um, 
Though, if you look at kind of what they gave up at that time, it's just funny in comparison to like current star trades we talk about. Yeah, that was thought to be a huge overpay. Um, I was, I mean, Gallinari was the guy I was really sad to see go. But yeah, especially because I wanted, I was like, man, I don't know how much defense they played. Probably none, but it would be very fun to see Melo Gallinari in stat. Yeah, um, but um, that's such as life. But yeah, I mean, I think. Um, I think it's it's a hypothetical. I don't think the Cavs are trading Mitchell. Um, I think next offseason they might. They don't improve. Um, and at this point, I think it has to... Like, I think the Knicks are much more likely to find a guy who... Um, a wing, right? If they're, if they're going to sell on RJ, I think they will probably will prefer... I'm not saying they would prefer OG and Anobi to uh, Mitchell, but um, somebody in that vein who fits a little bit better... I do think they're going to prioritize that. But to your point, I think that, yeah, it's fair for them to... It's, it's also interesting. Can someone emerge as that second shot creator? I mean, do you think... I mean, I know you're very high on quickly. Do you think he can be that? Um, you know, do you think... I, I know you're not very optimistic on Randall. You know, are the solutions on the roster to some of these issues? I don't think, like... I think you can talk about Miami that their offense did creator, and it's true, and I'm not sure how much it would have mattered. But it's worth noting Grimes was injured that, that series. Um, and, you know, we, we, like, we, we all complained about him not starting for most of the series and not getting enough minutes, but, you know, maybe he wasn't 100%, right? We know Grimes is hurt. We knew that and quickly got hurt. Um, and, you know, Randall, however much you want to attribute the injury to, you know, his lackluster play, he wasn't 100%, right? And you can say that's always going to be the case. Sure. Um, but... Like, is there a world in which those pieces next season are just a lot better on offense in the playoffs? I mean, I guess some of this just boils down to, like, do we think that Quickly and Grimes are better shooters next year in the playoffs? And do we think RJ in general, forget just just the playoffs, but, like, will he be a better shooter in the regular season to the point that he has a bit more gravity as an off-ball player? That, that I'll throw that back at you. Um, I would bet yes on all three, but I also think to your point, it's not just the spacing, right? It also comes down to you need somebody to, to share the burden at least a little bit with Brunson. Do you think that applies to any of those guys or Randall? So I, I think Randall is different in the sense that what did Randall shoot from between the playoffs? Do we know? Do you know if it's I after I just I just I just stopped looking at his like playoff numbers after a while last year because so I was just like this is really depressing. Depressing. <laughs> um, um, pulling it up now, yeah. He shot twenty six. How the fuck did he shoot worse from three last year than he did the first time in the playoffs? Okay, he shot twenty six percent from three on six point six attempts per game. Um, let's how about that? Like let's say let's say Randall he shot forty seven percent from two this past year in the playoffs. Let's say the the two point percentage stays the same. And he gets back up to like the 33, 34% that he kind of has leveled out at, at volume in the NBA in regular season, right? I, that's not, that's still a significant drop from his regular season stuff. Um, but I think you could definitely live with that as your second option if your other guys are coming through. And so, like, very specifically, Quickly and Grimes are the two big swing pieces, right? Because they were good shooters in the regular season who shot like shit in the playoffs. 
but we also know that like they have defensive value, which is why they both, <laughs> despite shooting like shit, were like net positive players in the playoffs. So, um, yeah, I if I, I think if you, it depends a lot on what you think of the East as well, right? Because I there is a lot of flux in the East. It feels like right. Philly is a fucking disaster. Milwaukee is very, very good. They obviously have Giannis, uh, but they're older. And let's be honest, like if we're going to sit here and talk about, oh man, these Knicks guys that you know, Randall and Quickly and Grimes, they just fall off in the regular in the in the playoffs. Drew is the biggest playoff dropper around. That guy turns into fucking like prime. And Middleton's health has not been a reliable yeah. for a couple of seasons now. Yeah, Drew turns into like prime Chris Duhon when it comes to the playoffs <laughs> on offense. Um. And and they're not they're they're old they're not athletic which is kind of insane to say but they're not they're not that well, besides Giannis right yeah but and 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 uh, yeah I mean Giannis is obviously his own thing but like they are not a team where I'm like oh my god what they're just gonna outrun the Knicks right like I actually worry about that sometimes when we when we've played the Pacers there's stretches of those games where I'm like they are literally just running by us they're that fast um, and they they got a little bit faster this summer you may be familiar with uh, Obi Toppin. Um, but like so, so obviously, I don't think Milwaukee is as much of a shoe in uh, as I previously did. Boston has undergone significant changes. We have to see how that works out for them. Health is a big factor for them now in a way that it wasn't previously, and um, or at least not to the same degree. Now it's even more significant. And then, like you know, do you do? I think the Cavs got better. I don't necessarily believe that. You know, now that they have fucking Max Struess and George Niang, that. Oh, they would definitely have not. They would 100% beat the Knicks now. Like, no, I don't think that. How much do you buy? Like, there's been guys who've gotten big contracts leaving the Heat that have failed to live up to that, right? Do you think that is can a we risk Can we list these examples? I'm not doubting it. Um, um, but like, I mean, there's like Kyler Johnson comes to mind. Um, there was. Olenek's been solid, and he's been played elsewhere before that. Um, I mean, would you count Hassan Whiteside as one of those guys? He stayed there, right? And then he got traded. So he yeah. sucked. He he went to shit in Miami. And I, I have a Tyler Johnson deal. also got extended. Or he got... He got offer-sheeted. Yeah, he got yeah. offer-sheet. They matched. Waiters stayed. Who... Like, I'm trying to think of a guy that left and... Okay, so Josh Richardson would be an example, right? Remember people were talking about this guy? Like, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking... If you can get if you can get him for Jimmy Butler, if you can get him for Jimmy Butler, that's worth it. Like, okay, <laughs> all right. Um, so Josh Richardson would be one. Uh, who else? Who else? Who else? I mean, even beyond the contracts, I'm just thinking guys who look yeah, yeah, a lot no. worse outside the Heat system. I think Johnson that was one of them. Yes, Johnson um, was one. Waiters. I mean, he, I mean, he went to shit in Miami, but he was also. One where it was like, even in real time, you were like, I don't trust this DI Winters thing. I, I'm not sure that you want to give him a contract, but that motherfucker is not real. Yeah, that is uh, not real. Uh, um, there's, I yeah. mean, even going back to guys like Chalmers and Norris Cole, they like fell off the map and I'm, they weren't as good as I think Struess or, or Vincent. But, um, but I'm curious, like, how one, how much does that impact Miami? And two, like, the Cavs. Should be happy about getting Struis. He looked really good in the playoffs against the team that beat the Cavs. Um, but you know, does he? Because like the big issue with the Cavs is that their best wing defender can't shoot. 
But guys like Osman or even Levert, who are better shooters, aren't are really great defenders. Struess would be better than all of those guys as a shooter, but is, are his defensive shortcomings going to show up more in Cleveland than maybe they would have in Miami? To the point where maybe you still need to play Okoro more than you'd like. Those are some of the questions, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I would... I don't, yeah, I, I'm just, I think they're better. I, I don't feel like, I, I feel pretty good. Like Struess, maybe, maybe they can't cover for him as well defensively in the ways that like Spolster was able to mask some of their issues or some of his issues. Um, but like, I do think he makes them better. Like they needed more three point shooting and even forgetting, you know, he struggled for a lot of last season. And even then, you know, you always felt like he had gravity, right? Like he was a guy that teams were not, just going to ignore if the Knicks it. did the same defense they did on Mitchell and Garland and collapsed the way they did and ignored basically Crow, even Levert, it would probably be much more challenging. This year's. Right. Right. And so, and, and I think the Niang one, I think is a little bit more tricky because he, he's a four. And so like, it's, it's not the same as just, well, we, we had a huge hole at the three, but now we have screws. Like, He's the four. Is he a good defensive rebounder? No, he's an awful defensive rebounder. Like he's yeah, so that doesn't terrible. solve your issue. That's the big issue when they played Mobley at the five against us, right? Yeah, and but both of them are not like Struz is not a good defensive rebounder either. So um, he's better than Niang, but Niang is fucking awful. Uh, so yeah, I, I I still don't feel like may, it's a closer matchup. I still feel like we're a better team, and then you know Atlanta, meh. Miami. If they get Dame, sure, but. Right now, they've just lost two starters without replacing them, and that's been their offseason. Like, so and I Jimmy's don't know. a year older, and, yeah. uh, and Lowry's a year older, and um, yeah. And, and yeah, Bam, so I, I mean, I don't know if you know what Bam is, or he is what he is. Maybe he still can improve, but... Uh, yeah, he, I, think, I think he's... The broad strokes of what he is as a player are... They are what they are. But I think when he was young, there was an offensive leap a lot of people expected him to take. And he's a good offensive player. You can run your offense through him. But particularly on the perimeter, it hasn't come the way I think a lot of people thought it would. Yeah, and you know he's never obviously developed into any type of like meaningful perimeter shooter and that type of stuff. But what he is is still really good. But And I think there's room for like refinement and things he can get better at. But the again, like what he largely is as a player is is what it is. You get what you're like. What he is today is probably what he's going to be for the foreseeable future in that sense. Um, but to bring it back, like, I don't, I really, I don't think it's unreasonable if you're a Knicks fan and you're like, I think this team can get better. I think this team has a chance to be a contender in the East simply by the guys that have shown improvement, improving further. And they're all at an age where they can improve. And like, to be fair, to be consistent, uh, I think it's fair to say that with Cleveland too, right? Like maybe uh, we are underselling uh, what they can be next season because guys like, you know, very specifically Garland and Mobley are very much in pre-prime years, right? They can get better. They they can obviously improve. Um, I'm a little bit more skeptical of like Mobley, Mobley's improvement in the short term. I do believe like long term he's gonna be an awesome fucking player. And he's still really good. Don't get me wrong. He's still very, very good defensively. Uh although I don't know about our good friend Seth ranking him above Julius Randle um so far. But but like you know his offensive game is just so far off from what you would want 
from a complementary big at the four next to guys like Mitchell and Garland, um, especially obviously with the five that doesn't space the floor at all. So that one is a little bit trickier to me. I do think Garland is going to be better next year, though. I, I would bet on that pretty heavily. Yeah, I think he definitely has a high ceiling. Um, but yeah, there's there's no one in the East that scares me. Last year, I would have said I was scared of Milwaukee and Boston, but we match up well with Boston. The Knicks have matched. So, are, up well are with you Boston. saying that you're never scared? I you never, scared. never scared. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Killer so, Stacy out here, that, half that dude's size. Um, no, it's bone crusher. Um, bone crusher. <laughs> did you did you ever see he was in the what was the new bull bo rat one? The new Sacha Baron Cohen one. A bone crusher was in it. Like I did not like, see it. Uh, um, with like some Republican congressman, <laughs> he got they got trolled by. Um, it was a funny sketch. Um, the um, yeah. So there's like, do I think the Knicks are unequivocal? And so I think that if you see that, that that can point both ways in terms of making a star trade. You can look at that and say, we already are in contention. Why do we need to, you know, to to push our chips in like for and and take some risks. The other thing is that, well, if if the East is wide open right now, um, and honestly, like, Jokic is still there, but the West is, like, you know, Phoenix, I think, will be good, but Katie's health is always unpredictable. Uh, and that team just hasn't, frankly, lived up to expectations either. Um, the Warriors are aging. So if the league is this wide open, does that, I think that, and I probably would lean this way, that that does give me more impetus to make a star trade. Um, because if you can get to a clear advantage, you know, um, you know, by replacing, you know, even if it's Randall that has to go, but you bring in, I'm, I'm, this is not an option, but if you could bring in Giannis and you had to trade everyone but Brunson, I would do that. I mean, if I paired Brunson with, with Giannis, that would be worth it. And then you figure it out because they are that close. Um, but I think that the other point is that if it's a, if it's a situation like Donovan Mitchell, where I'm, I'm still a little bit curious about the fit. That's where I might have some hesitation, especially if I'm sending out good defensive players. Um, but I'll also say this, you know, people have to, like, you know, pe- people have said, you know, the Knicks didn't really do much. They just said, replacing, like, I'm not saying Dante is necessarily even a better player than Obi Toppin, right? Uh, so, but you replace for a team that struggled with shooting in the playoffs. You replaced a an average shooter at best with you know a very good shooter you replaced a team that often suffered from stagnant offense a guy who's a, a very good connector and playmaker or and passer uh and you replace a player that has never been that great a defender at least in this scheme with a guy with with a plus defender on a team that was 19th in defensive rating i think this team got better and i don't think anyone in the east got so much better like, i don't think the Cavs got so much better that they they surpassed the knicks um it, same with Atlanta. Um, you know, they are really high on some of their players in Brooklyn. Maybe the, the Ben Simmons resurgence happens, but I'm personally not buying that, uh, or not to the extent that it would change too much. And then Miami is always just a wild card. And if they get Dame, then that would change. But, you know, they're like, why not the Knicks right now? They were, they were right there last year. And, and I think they, they got better through personnel and they have, at least three guys who can really believe should be better. And that includes RJ Grimes quickly. Um, and, uh, and Chad, I think Brunson's going to be better. I think like a full season of Brunson doing what he did post all-star break, specifically in terms of three point volume um, is kind of a, a game changer, right? If you get that for a full season, you get a full season of heart 
Um, you had a full season without those 20 games of Fournier, um, you know, and, and Cam and, and, you know, and, and Rose and the, the, you know, which kind of held the Knicks back. I mean, the, the defense probably looks a lot better than 19th just from that without even considering the addition of, of Dante. So, um, or the fact that Hart, Hartenstein was clearly not himself for the first part of that season, right? Um, I think there secretly could be a lot better. And there's a reason why I think Bobby Marks, of all people, um, said that uh, that was actually they, hilarious. It was like though it's it was the meme, you know, the heartbreaking. Worst you know. <laughs> it's also like the most wrong person you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, that well maybe that should cause some discomfort, right? If, if that's the guy who was on our side, it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> um. Yeah. So. Where where I am at with this team is like, it is really really hard to push your ceiling. When you hit a certain threshold, it's really really hard to push the ceiling, and it's really really hard to find the guys that will push the ceiling. Um, because wins are obviously harder to add uh, the higher your like level is, right? So it's easier to get from thirty wins to forty wins than it is to get from forty wins to fifty wins. That's just a fact. That's not debatable. This is 100% true. Uh, So to me, the only guy I felt like pretty strongly moved their championship odds was Paul George, that they were connected to this offseason in a meaningful way. I'm not the Embiid stuff is different because I don't think Embiid Embiid's not getting traded this summer, right? Um, But as far as like guys who could have conceivably gotten traded this summer, he was the guy that I was like, I understand the health risks, but if he's healthy, he makes you better in a way that really can move the needle in the playoffs. And obviously he fits a kind of archetype. A lot lot of the frustration with RJ Barrett is because he's not actualized a lot of the things that Paul George has obviously actualized as a player, right? Defensively, as a shooter, as a shot creator, all that type of stuff. Um, So like he's, that was it really for me. I, I, I understand the appeal of Zach Levine and people have laid out you know, a lot of very good cases and arguments for Prez. Yeah, Prez and, and even Jeremy, uh, obviously, too, but like have laid out arguments for why. I, at the, like, I, I, I've t- I said this about Joel Embiid, too, where it's like you just kind of need, need to like feel something, I think, inside. <laughs> like you need to like feel it like, oh, like, no, this feels right. This, this like what does I, your heart I, tell you? Yeah, no, I mean, I really believe that. Like you, know, you have to like feel good about it. And. Every time I'm like, oh, like Zach Levine, the numbers are great, and blah blah blah. I'm just like, eh, yeah, I don't feel it. It's not there, not not doing it for me. So uh, I was never really super into that idea, even if I understood it. Uh, but I don't know, like, wh- what is the Knicks' best bet to basically become a co- contender? Is more or less that that is actually the question, and not like it's not. Do they have a path? They have a path. That path may not be clear cut. It's not straightforward necessarily, but I think they have a path, right? One of those paths will involve trading many of their players for a star, superstar talent, whatever. The other, I think that isn't getting enough is what you've kind of, what you've posited here and what you've talked about previously is just like, can our guys get better? And like, I don't really think the growth for these guys needs to be it's not some outlier thing that you haven't seen, right? Even with RJ Barrett, we've talked about, you know, maybe his ceiling as a shot creator is limited given 
the complete lack of growth as a pull-up shooter. But like, does he need to be a star to help the Knicks be a better team? No. Like, he just needs. Can you make better decisions on drives? Can you be a bit more committed defensively and on the glass? You know, can you be just a better decision maker? Can you hit open league threes? Average. Yeah. Can you hit league average from three? All those things they don't take make him a star, but they make him a better player. And obviously, <laughs> it, it, if he does that, he makes the Knicks a better team. You know, with quickly and Grimes, a lot of it is like, hey, can you do the things that you do in the regular season? Can you just do them in the playoffs, right? And like in Quickly's case, I think that's a little bit more complicated because what he does in the regular season involves ball handling and initiating, and that's a different kettle of fish in the playoffs. So if people are skeptical of whether he can do that or not, I think that's fair. Like I, I think that is a fair thing to be skeptical and and you know, not view as a guarantee. But do I think that Quickly and Grimes are forever doomed to like be complete shit cans as far as shooting in the playoffs? No, I don't. I think they're like both pretty young. You know, they both have pretty minimal playoff experience at this point, especially Grimes. And like, I don't, I'm not comfortable writing them off as just like, hey, can, you know, there's no reason for me to believe that they can't make open threes in the playoffs, but they can in the regular season. You know, yeah, maybe real quick with Grimes. Do you think that kind of with Grimes is tough to have to feel from because like he would get two open shots a game, he miss them both right in the playoffs. Do you think like there is anything to the fact that since these guys aren't really touching the ball, because Hart was shooting better for for a while in the playoffs, but he's a guy because of rebounding because like he often brings it up in transition. He was in a little bit more of a rhythm. Whereas if you tell Grimes stand in the corner and he gets it twice. Do you think that played into it at all? I mean, I, quickly, it's a little bit... I, I wouldn't say that quickly because he did have the ball in his hands a lot, but especially with Grimes, do you think that, that contributed to his struggles at all? Um, maybe. I I also think he was just... He, it was a very weird playoff for Grimes in the sense of, like, he got hurt, what? In, like So game one, he didn't particularly shoot well. He played good defense. He makes the key free throws at the end of the game that iced the game for the Knicks. Game two is a blowout, right? Everybody plays like shit, basically. Not much to take from it. Game three, he gets hurt, what, in the second quarter or something? And I think he had hit a couple threes in that game even, but like, okay, so then he's out for, was it the rest of that series? He missed the rest of the series, right? Yeah, and then even, I think he missed game one. Yeah, and then he missed... And he then he had that weird. Yeah, he and then it was weird where like he was playing, but Tibbs wasn't playing him. And then well, it's, it was also like not consistent. Like he closed for like fifty fucking minutes in a row in game two, and then game three it was like okay, but you're still coming off the bench now. And then game four he finally started again. It was a very weird thing. And he played right? all so, forty eight in game in one of five. Them, game in game five, five he played all forty eight minutes. He had that possession where he was like hobbling around, and then he ripped Jimmy of the ball. Yeah. Um, and then in game six he was like he played, but then Tibbs decided in the fourth quarter to not until there was like two minutes left. And he's like, Oh yeah, I forgot that you exist. Get, get out there. Uh, so it was just a very weird playoffs for him. Like I'm not comfortable. Right. I mean, I'm not comfortable writing him more quickly off for that matter, but like in his case, especially where so much of his game right now, offensively is just like, can you cash in threes when you get the ball? And that's like, how many times a game is that really like seven, eight max, right? It's not a lot. So, uh, I'm, I mean, I'm pretty bullish on both of them. I think with, with Grimes very specifically, and actually with both of them, 
they just need to get to. I, I felt like a lot of their issues in the playoffs was trying to go too fast, was like trying to make. There's a difference between like trying to force the action and playing with force. And I thought, especially in Quickly's case, he tried to force the action. He tried to force the action too often. And I think it, you could really see it uh, in game one and two in my against Miami, where like he was really trying to get back into some type of flow and it just was not happening for him. Um, I don't view that as something that is impossible for him to overcome. We've seen a plenty of young guards, especially struggle early in their careers in the playoffs and go on to bigger and better things. Like, I mean, I'm, I like to shit on Trey young and I, some of it is like not totally facetious. Like I do mean a lot of my slander of him. He's obviously not terrible. Uh, but like he's struggled with his efficiency in the playoffs tremendously. You know, uh, he's what, 23 years old, something like that. Like, I don't think he's forever doomed to like, he's never going to become a better shooter in the playoffs or a better finisher in the playoffs. Or a guy whatever, like right? Lowry, right? Lowry was not very good at early in his career, period. Mike, but, like, Mike Lowry. <laughs> yeah. um, no, even against, I feel like, yeah, he had some big performances in that Knicks series, but like even that series, I don't think he was like particularly, like the num- if you look at the numbers, it wasn't like that incredible. Uh, and even for that whole playoff run, yeah, he had 29 points, but only shot 32% from three. Um, and that was, you know, that was his flagship run. I mean, it, it ended up being, um, yeah, ended up shooting, yeah, 55 true shooting, which is solid, but like, you know, it's not, um, yeah, to your point, like, and that's that was his best season in the playoffs. So um, I definitely agree with that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, yeah, I, I guess it's with quickly, it's still, it's, Playoffs probably aren't going to change a lot of minds, right? A lot of people felt like, well, you know, like, if you weren't that into his game on offense during the regular season, you saw what you wanted to see. Um, you know, I, I think with quickly, the question is, like, he's a solid ball handler. How how much how much more growth is there, is there, right? And I think that's a lot of where, like, a lot of the Knicks young guys, if you're more down on them versus a guy like Darius Garland um, or even a guy like RJ Barrett, right? For a guy like RJ Barrett, you, I think the case would be there's there are so many things he can improve on, uh, you know, low hanging fruit, that you know it's not hard to see the improvements. With quickly, it's like, well, he's already like you know we never thought he'd be able to get to the rim. He's turned into a good finisher. He's gotten really good at the floater, um, and he takes a lot of threes at volume. Where is the extra growth? Um, you know, does that concern you at all in terms of like is he just always going to be limited as a shot creator because of the lack of like elite burst? Um, is it that he like president just thinks he needs to shoot a lot more threes? I'm inclined to agree with that. How much better can he get as a ball handler? You know, I, I, I asked in the strict. I don't I was think like, he's. I think his burst is pretty good. Like, I don't think it, I agree. It's not like Scoot Henderson, right? He's not just gonna like fucking blow by you. But I've. I feel like it's a lot of his when he 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 needs to set guys up. But once he gets a guy set up, I think his burst is good. Like, it's not maxi level, right? It's not a guy that's elite. But it is good. Like I've seen him, to your point about like growth as a driver and finisher inside. Like I've seen him in big, like big regular season games. Anyway, like get to the into the paint, get to the rim later in games. You know, late in in, in tighter situations. We saw that in the Boston game. Um, uh, 
uh, this year when when Brunson was out. So like, I don't think he's. It, it's it was a, it's something that I was more concerned about initially, and now is like, you know, no, I don't expect him to ever be an elite. He's never going to be, um, you know, again like Scoot or one of these fucking. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's never going to be one of those guys. But I think he can get into the paint, and then from there is where. I still think that's where the biggest growth for him needs to come. And I think that's what gets, you know, that's probably what he struggles with more in the playoffs than anything is, okay, you got into the paint. Guess what? Don't pick up your dribble. He has a habit of like picking up his dribble, right? When he gets to the elbow or something like that, he'll just pick up his dribble and then he has to hold it and he's waiting for somebody to get open. Like he's got to keep his dribble alive. And um, obviously that's something where like, all you know, go watch your teammate, buddy. Go watch Jalen Brunson. Like he, that you know, he keeps that dribble alive. He's yo-yoing around in there. I think that's something that is kind of the, I don't want to say final barrier, but uh, a significant barrier for him to overcome. Just like being more comfortable in tight confines. Can he do that? I think he can. I think he's shown a lot of growth as a ball handler to begin with. Um, but I, I think that's really the biggest thing for him. And then you know, just continuing to work on his body. You know, like getting bigger as uh, maxing out his strength is huge for him. He's obviously made significant gains there um, through three years, but like, and he, and he's talked about this. Like that's something that he still feels like he needs to work on and prove on and, and has the ability to do. So those are really the biggest ones for me. And then with Grimes, I just think like, look, he, he played this was a second year in the league. He was, you know, thrown into the starting lineup a quarter of the way through the season like he had his first playoff experience. He's in a role where like he doesn't get the ball a lot. And so I think there are times when he gets the ball and it's like, oh, what do I do? Like, and he's just like, you can tell like he's trying to go at like 3,000 miles an hour, right? Um, he doesn't need to, you don't need, just because you can go fast doesn't mean you always need to go as fast as you can. That's something like he needs to grasp um, and just like be better with change of pace, understanding how to use more feints. Um, and just like slowing, the, like I mean, forgetting the, even the players. Do you remember that game against Indiana where like we get a stop? I think he either gets a steal or a rebound, and then he like committed the dumbest turnover ever because he just like picked up his dribble and like was freaking out. Um, we ended up winning the game anyway. But those are the moments where I just think like people will be like, "Oh, he's choking," and I don't really think it's choking. I think it's just he's not been in those situations, so he like is he kind of freezes up, um, and I think that'll be in time. I think that'll go that'll 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 disappear. And we've seen him make big shots in the regular season too. You know, we've seen him make big time threes late in games. We saw him make a couple free throws at the end of that Cleveland game like we talked about before. So like he's I don't think he's like you know, forever gonna be shook by the moment or something like that. But yeah, I, I and I really feel like what those guys are, you know, especially, you know, quick and, and grimes, like those guys are let's say you don't believe in them as being anything more than than role players, fine, but like they have the capacity to be really, really impactful role players, which you've seen in the regular season. And it's just about carrying that stuff over into the playoffs. And like with RJ, I, I think it's all like so much of it. We can talk about the specifics, but I feel like at, what we're ultimately talking about with him is can you make better decisions on in both phases, right? In in offensively and defensively. Can you make better decisions? Can you execute better? Can you execute more consistently? And None of those things that we're asking for are like, they're not really that significant, if you ask me. Yeah, I mean, I mean, how many people, can you think of a lot of players who shot at the volume that RJ did from three 
and didn't turn into league average shooters. Like Wiggins was a below average three point shooter early in his career, but he's become reliable. Even guys like Aaron Gordon have now. Um, you know, like is it that's the like if he becomes a league average shooter, it's not like unless he's a really terrible defender, it's not hard to see him being like pretty solid third option. Um, like I like I. I think the decision making, if he's the third option, the decision making you would for me isn't that big a deal. You know, like. Well, it's not a big deal because I actually. That's. To me, decision making is the thing that is. You you can bet on young players improving their decision making. Because, like, I mean, Stacey, you know this. I'm sure that when you were uh, 22, you maybe made some poor decisions on Thursday nights uh, that caused you to check into work a little rough on Friday morning. <laughs> and maybe over time you, you learn to uh, be better about that, make better decisions. So like, I, I, it's, it's, to me, it's like, I would be shocked if RJ Barrett is not a better decision maker over the next however many years moving forward than he has been currently, because that's just what I expect young players to do. And we've even seen this with like Mitchell Robinson, right? Like defensively, do you remember how much foul trouble this guy used to get into and now you see, like, you know, yes, obviously he still has games and matchups where he picks up stupid fouls, but he's so much better now about that, you know, so much better. And, like, that's an example, a really good example of just... That and fouls. also not block chasing, right? Like, he was yeah. a disaster as a rebounder, as a, a rookie, right? Um, and he used to try to block everything, and he's just so much smarter about that, too. Yeah, 100%. Um, um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, I'm not too worried about like them improving. It's, it is, I mean, you also have to understand like the NBA does not operate in a vacuum. So, like, you know, other teams will improve, other teams' players will improve. Do the Knicks have more scope for upside with the guys on their roster than other rosters? I, that's all tough to, to, to speak on very specifically, but like I personally think they do because these three guys, especially we've talked, you know, mostly we've talked about RJ and quick and, and Grimes, they're playing prominent roles. And I don't know. Like, I mean, what other, and they're young, like, I don't know what other team I look at in the East that other than Cleveland, really with like Garland and Mobley, what other team in the East, closer to the top has a guy that you're like, oh yeah, he's definitely gonna get better and there there's prime to to kind of grow. Like, you know, you could tell me Maxi, but James Harden, uh, we don't know exactly what's gonna be there and we don't know if Joel Embiid is gonna be there. It's not a clean situation. Milwaukee, there is no young talent there that I care about. I mean I'm sure I, I know Prez will be screaming that I ignoring Marjan Bochamp, but um I'm not, you know, I'm not expecting him or anybody on that team that is like a draft pick or something to be playing a significant role. Boston. Yeah. Obviously Tatum and Brown are great, but like, I mean, what are we talking about here? Robert Williams. Okay. He can stay healthy. Fine. Like he's really good when he's healthy, but that's about it. Chris Dobbs is 28. Like I don't really see him becoming, if he, I mean, if he's just what he was last year, obviously that's great for them, but like, I don't see him becoming better than that. Is there and another level like, Tatum can reach? Yeah, but only, what twenty four, twenty five? No, there, there definitely is, but like that, I don't know. I, I think that's that is harder for me to envision. Not because he can't do it, but because he's like a top ten guy. So going from 
top 10 to now like okay become an mvp guy that's a little bit harder to project than like rj go from not being like don't 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 be dog shit from three just be average from three you know like that's a lot easier of a projection and a to to make and bet on so um yeah i i don't know i i feel pretty good about where they are in the east and i think these young dudes they have are you know in lieu of the opportunity to get and acquire a real star game-changing talent they are a pretty good bet to make as far as pushing this team's ceiling further um, than what we saw last year. Yeah, so if you make a trade, I don't think you need to make it for this because like, you have to cash your chips in. I do think if they stagnate this year, if they don't get past the second round, um, I think next... Because then you... I, I think if that happens, by the way, um, I don't think Randall will be on the team after that. Um, I think if, if, the, if you have a repeat of last season, they're going to look to move him because I don't think they're going to want to pay him. Um, what would he be eligible? I mean, I know you've talked about this too, like, but is anyone going to pay him that? I think you can, there are going to be teams, I think, that if they could get it for like two years, you know, some a team with like a young star or something, right? Where like they're desperate to keep up. Maybe not this team, but let's say Charlotte, right? Like Lamelo's, you know, like antsy about them not competing well. They say we can't sign anyone, but, you know, this guy, we can get him for two seasons for a good deal. Um, you know, I I don't think he'll have no market. So I think that if if they if they just see that this is what it is with Randall and Brunson, I do think that's the piece that gets moved. Is that fair to say? I mean, like this year they might see let's let it play out another year, and then next year if they you know don't show more pro or they don't like make it to the Eastern Conference Finals at least, is that fair to say that that would be when it happens? Barring like you know something, and I think more guys will be able, like there's probably going to be more third and Embiid. Maybe something like Giannis. I think that's where that's my kind of feel on the situation. Um, or like I, I can't see the Knicks making a major move until I don't know, maybe the trade deadline, maybe next summer, right? Like I don't really see the guys that they would want to make a move for becoming available before those times, and that. Is God bless man. Chicago, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Vucevic, resigning Vucevic is our main priority. We're yeah. not. I'm not trading Zach Levine for God. Like, yeah, good, good management over there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think you just roll with this roster, right, and and then see what happens. But like, you know, I, I did a thread. It's my pinned tweet right now on this. We I guess we can kind of wrap up with this. But like, I see a lot. Like, there's a lot of people that are just like, well, of course, you know, if Embiid on the market, you, you, you got to fucking put it all out there for him. And I, I don't get that. Like he's been on talented teams and not gotten past the second round. He has been on teams that have operated in a similar way, right? Cashing in future assets and chips to, to acquire star win now talent. Um, and like, so I think that tells you one thing. It tell, or tells you a couple things. The first is that as good as Joel Embiid is, he's not a guy that um, can necessarily make up for a deficient roster around him in, in certain ways, um, especially come playoff time. We've seen this repeatedly in the playoffs. His performance drops, his efficiency drops, all that stuff. Like I think that matters. So retaining a certain level of talent, even after you trade for a guy like Joel Embiid, is important. And... I don't think any specific player or pick 
you know, aside from Brunson, right, should be off the table in a Joel Embiid scenario. But like how you value those things and what the collective package looks like matters. I don't think if the if the trade is like, well, it's all your young guys and all the picks that you can trade. Like I'm not doing that trade. I'm sorry. Like I just I'm not going to do that. I don't think that's a good trade. I don't think Joel Embiid is worth it. And um, we also, you know, you also have to consider that Joel Embiid is 30. He's going to, he's approaching 30. He's obviously had significant injury issues in his past. He's been healthier lately for sure. But even amidst that, he consistently is hurt come playoff time, right? And that has cost his team and it's hurt his performance. Uh, and he misses, you know, 14, 15 games a season and, and he's going to be up for a new contract. And like all of these things, we can't just ignore. Like, if we can't ignore that stuff because we want a star so badly, and we can't overrate a star just because he's a talent that doesn't exist on our roster. And we also don't need to pretend like the Knicks players have no value. Like, I don't think you can just view guys like, like again, in isolation, sure, I'm going to trade quickly for Joel Embiid. I will trade Quentin Grimes for Joel Embiid. I'll trade R.J. Barrett for Joel Embiid. I'll trade anybody on this team, aside from Jalen Brunson, one for one, for Joel Embiid. But like, that's not how you evaluate a trade. And you also can't evaluate it like, well, of course you trade those three guys in a package for Joel Embiid. Okay, but what's the rest of the package? Because I still need to retain a certain amount of talent, and I also need to retain a certain level, not even just an amount of talent, but you need a certain level of like offensive prowess and really like ball handling and shooting around him, um, which I think has been, I mean, it's obvious to me when you look at and you really examine where Philadelphia's teams have fallen short in the playoffs is is a lack of those things. So um, that's kind of like just why I am very okay with the Knicks more or less running it back this year. Uh, and also, like, what I just think that the, the way we talk about trading for it's not just Embiid. It's like this is, I mean, people are talking about this like Donovan Mitchell last summer, right? Of course, you, are, you have to trade all this stuff to get Donovan Mitchell. And it's like, I mean, thank God we didn't because <laughs> I we're way, we're in way better position now than if we had pulled the trigger on exactly what Ainge wanted for Mitchell and we were you know, at least out three of, of unprotected first round picks and, you know, RJ and quickly and whatever the fuck else. Like I, that would have been a bad trade to me and you'd be in a worse position and you'd have less capacity to acquire the talent that you ultimately need to win a championship. And like, I don't even know if the team would have been better than they were this past season. So, um, I, I, I think like the Donovan and Mitchell thing should be instructive about, it should be more instructive about how we talk about trading for stars and what they are worth and what a good package is versus what an overpay is. And and like it's okay for people to disagree on getting Joel Embiid or not, but within a disagree that disagreement, I think there needs to be more conversation around like what does it mean to say I would not trade for Joel Embiid? Like you're not trading for Joel Embiid at any price? Or is it what is the specific prices of this thing that we're talking about? Because we know the Knicks have a variety of packages they can offer in trades, right? With the young players they have, the picks they have, and all that shit. Like, working through the specifics of what a package is um, has to matter when we're talking about this. Yeah, of course. And that's another thing 
this front office has been great at. It's just like you don't just that's. I think that's really. I remember we were we had a we did a pod with Schmelk uh, last year, and, and I think we had like a Twitter debate. And I think like I think we all realized that like we pretty much were pretty close on how we actually valued Mitchell. I think where we we differed was the idea that like, and he made this point that like, guys, when there's a star on the table, it's not a question of how they're valued. It's like. They, like the other GM wants everything you got. Like that's what the price is. Um, and I think, and for what it's worth, I think that's been the case in a lot of star trades of re- of late. And I just don't think that's how um, this front office operates. I think it's more he's finding those right up. They're not just going to say we have to get OG and an OB. They're not just going to say we have to get Donovan Mitchell. Um, and um, and I don't think they're going to do that with Embiid. And um, and I I do wonder. I do wonder though how much, like they they're always. I'm sure they, they say the Knicks are monitoring Giannis's status, right? You've seen that tweet from I've seen it from like Windhorse, I think, or I don't want to misattribute it, but I feel like I've seen that from like a pretty from, from a couple of pretty substantial writers, um, you know, connects whatever you want to call it. Um, do you think that that like? to the extent they're monitoring it, does that kind of play into it where it's like, well, we can get Mitchell today or, you know, there's a chance that Giannis is available in a year or how much do you think those factors kind of play into it? Can you repeat that, that real quick? Like how much does, how much do you think like other players potentially being available? Like let's see even a Giannis, right? down the line makes them more patient or do you think it's more of a just a bird in the hand versus a bush type of thing? I think it's being patient, right? Like you can't I mean uh, the way where I always fall on this is just like you can't want something so bad that you lose all kind of like levity in what you're willing to get it. Um, and I do think that's how they've operated, right? Like they have not, I think they have defined values for things. And sometimes that comes across as them being like, oh, they're scared to make a trade or they're always trying to get, you know, like a a discount or a cheaper price than what something's worth. But like, I just, I I don't know. I mean, this is stupid because like, it's going to come across, like, I feel like I probably tend to align with them on a lot of their valuations of things like not exactly i mean i think even the price they're willing to get to for donovan mitchell last year is one i wasn't necessarily comfortable with but it's a lot closer than i think what it felt like consensus was right where the consensus was like well of course you give up three first round picks and this is what you've been waiting for this is what you've been waiting for right the star is asking out and now you can get him and it's like i mean even i i think i want to say um when was it uh, not Fisher uh, your own Weitzman he was on with uh, Macri last week on KFS and they were like and, and I and I get it and I understand why this is like the prevailing common wisdom of like this is what they've been waiting for right like of course if Joel Embiid hits the market you have to trade everything for him because this is what you've been waiting this is what you've been holding on to all your assets for and like while I understand that thinking I kind of think that's dismissive of what they've done because it it feels like the assumption as well of course they're just waiting to trade for a star because what else would you do and like i'm sure obviously every team in the nba wants to trade for a superstar that's not exactly like uh some fucking news breaking (laughs) revelation but but i think 
they, well, yes, of course they like to trade for a star, but they've valued development. You know, they've put in a lot of money into the draft and they put in a lot of money into improving their internal development staff. We, they, that, that's been talked about. We know they've put a lot of money into the infrastructure of the organization, right? I think they put in like that, I forgot what the exacting, the exact, um, name of the practice, but like one of those shot analysis fucking things and in the Westchester facility, you know, they've, they've spent Why can't a lot they get of, the players helicopters to Terrytown though. I know, right? Maybe they have, who knows? Uh, but like, I think it's, it's too simplistic to view what they've done as like, well, they're just waiting for a star because if that was the case. then they would have traded for Donovan Mitchell last summer, right? They would have been like, fuck it. The price is the price. Let's make it happen. We got our star. Boom. Move on. Well, unless you have the, if you believe there's a difference in an MVP. And again, if you want to debate how real that is or whatever, I think it was deserving. I think Jokic is obviously the best player. Regular, but, it's a regular season award. It's fun. Um, but there is a substantial difference between an MVP level player versus Mitchell, right? So I think that would be the distinction. Of, of course. But my, my point is more like, so, th- but that distinction speaks to it. Like, like there, so there is a distinction. This is not like just get a star. There's actually a distinction and there's a value to that. And that value has to line up with what they believe internally. Like, it's not just, oh, star exists. Go get star. Like, it, it's more than that. Um, so yeah, like I, I think. To that point, um, you know, I I feel pretty good about like where they are and their valuations and and all that type of stuff. If if they end up pretty much the same spot next year, let, let's say they hover around fifty games or maybe fall a couple short, win a playoff series, um, and then still look like they're a significant gap to um, you know to being a true contender. What do you expect to happen next offseason if that's the case, or if they stagnate, you know, in some way? I mean, I think they would be more aggressive, probably, about adding talent. But again, like, do you think they took, a, they took a step back in 2021-22, which is kind of why there was this like heightened sense of like they have to get Mitchell, right? Oh, he's available. They have to get him. Uh, and I don't think I just don't think they view it like that. Like, I do you think they might return if they if they don't improve upon what they did this year? Uh. Maybe depends on the nature of like what it means to stagnate. You know, did you stagnate because oh you got to the second round and lost in the second round again? Like, and is that is that what we mean by stagnate, or is it like oh you lose in the first round and and okay maybe you lose in the first I mean, round? Either of those, I think. So you're saying there's a distinction between those two, which I kind of agree with. Let's say they end up in a four or five matchup, and they like let's say for whatever reason Milwaukee is the four seed next year, and they just get blown out. Like that's. If like, they get blown out, I think then it could be bad for Tibbs. Yeah, and even this year, like I'm, people have played the game about you know players need to step up, and he owns a lot of culpability for that Miami series. Okay, um, I the, the they have enough analytics guys to know that the RJ Hart idea was just bad. Unless Grimes was seriously hurt, that so like that's where I'm wondering. Like if they lose again in the first or second round, I would imagine he's going to have a lot of culpability for it. And you know, coaches who have done. Like Dwayne Casey probably had less culpability for some of their their woes, right? Um, but he, you know, in, in Toronto he got he got um, fired. You know, there have and, been and they've who, given him. I mean, I think Tibbs and Randall, like these guys, are so funny. Like how inexorably tied they are to each other. But like they're so similar in the sense of like I don't think Randall or Tibbs would have gotten the level of patience and 
leeway that this Leon Rose-led organization has given them from most other teams in the league. I mean, would Tibbs even have gotten a, another head coaching job in the league? Is something really I, I don't know. Like I and I and that doesn't mean like it took Mike Brown a really long time to get another head coaching job, and I think we're seeing. That one, he probably benefited from sitting on another T guy's bench and learning from him and all that shit. But like, two, it was probably stupid that it took this long for him to get another head coaching job. And I- I've always been of the belief that he's a much better coach than like his reputation was, and that he got he picked two bad jobs. That Lakers job was bad, and going back to the Cavs was bad. I mean, um, I think it seems like every coach. Look at guys who've coached LeBron and how they're like. I remember that there was such a meme that like LeBron. Lou's not a good coach. Remember, yeah. Spolstra doesn't do anything. It just it's LeBron's team, right? Lou doesn't do anything. Ty Ty Lou, right? (laughs) You know, Um, I think probably Blatt was a much better coach than he'd given credit for. I think Cavs bloggers would probably come after me for that one. But the point is, and I'm not even blaming LeBron for that. It's just he's such a transcendental player that even Phil Jackson was criticized, like, "Oh, what's he won without some of the greatest players ever?" So I think that that's part of it. I think if you're a coach, like the level of expectation with some of those players is so high that, yeah, you do get underrated. Yeah, yeah. And I just think, um, you know, like, I I will say this as somebody who's been really critical of Tibbs. I think it's probably a mistake that he would have never been hired by another team if not for Leon Rose getting hired by the Knicks. Or at least it seemed that way. I can't know that for sure, obviously. Um, He's clearly do I question a lot of the things that he does and says and decides? Sure. But like, I think I don't, the idea, I think it's safe to say that dismissing him entirely as some kind of relic of a bygone era is clearly wrong. Like it is clearly wrong. He has shown the capacity to understand the value of like, okay, we need to get more threes up. We need to get, corner threes up we need to get yeah like he he understands the way the league is trending and where the value is and you know we obviously don't agree with how he always goes about trying to exploit that but the league has not passed him by in the sense that i think a lot of people were worried about when he was initially hired and as far as randall goes like you know randall obviously his in a lot of ways has justified the faith the organization has, has shown in him with two all-star and two all-NBA seasons, both deserved. Um, but he's also sandwiched that in between, again, just a season that was a downright disaster. And in a lot of organizations, a lot of, I think a lot of teams would have just been like, fucking hell, we need to move this guy come hell or high water. Obviously, the Knicks didn't feel that. The Knicks felt like he needed to be supported more. Uh, and that he deserved another chance, and they were rewarded for that belief, but that doesn't mean every other team would have given it to him. So, like, you know, if the Knicks stagnate, which is a long story short, if the Knicks stagnate, I think, yeah, maybe it'll be because Quickly and Grimes can't make a shot, and maybe RJ still is not shooting from league league average from three, and maybe Brunson doesn't have, like, as historic a playoff run as he did this past year, whatever. Like, all those things might be true, but I I would assume that a large part of that would ultimately be that, like, Randall and Tibbs did not demonstrate great decision-making and performance come playoff time. Um, or, you know, like God forbid that <laughs> it's a disastrous regular season, they would, I'm sure they would be highly culpable if that was the case too. So like it, it I think uh, to, to answer your initial question, stagnating, taking a step back, whatever you want to call it. Or even just staying at the same level. I, I, I lumped that in with stagnating, I guess. Okay, so if if they stay at the same level where they're a second round exit, good regular season team, second round exit, 
I don't think Tibbs is in danger, depending on the nature of the playoff exit. Um, I would suspect in that scenario, if they stagnate, I mean, so when you say this, does this also mean like Randall stagnates? Randall is what he is in the playoffs? I mean, I think you can, I'll leave that open-ended. Like, what do you think is the most likely scenario in which that happens? I think for me, it's, you don't get significant improvement from RJ. Um, and none of, like, we still, besides Brunson, don't have much of an answer on offense. And, you know, I mean, even DiVincenzo wasn't great in the playoffs last year, right? So, you know, it's it's still kind of, it's just it's the same thing. Same old story, and and we don't have a coach who can be creative enough to, um, to and that that's another question I'll ask. Is, so yeah, that's the uh, that's to me the most likely scenario. But if you have, like, I guess a good question is what do you think that even looks like if they don't improve, or or if it's just kind of the same thing, or maybe a little bit worse. I mean, I think if Randall has another shitty playoffs, I I really think it's time to move on from him. Um, he'll be extension eligible next summer, and if he has another bad playoffs are you really willing to extend him going into his 30s um i don't know i that feels like a very tough proposition it's also hard to walk away from because if he still had like let's say he has a really good regular season but then stinks out in the playoffs it's like well he gets us to a certain level do we want to risk like having the bottom fall off because we're worried about the ceiling like i don't know it's really hard but i would think if he sucks again in the playoffs there's a much better chance he's gone um if he has a good playoffs, then why the fuck would you move him? Right then, then he would have answered the biggest question that exists around him. I don't even think he needs to be like some amazing player. He just needs to be normal. Like he 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 could be worse than he is in the regular season, and you could still feel much much better about bringing him back long term um, by just making better decisions and and shooting somewhat stably in the playoffs. And hell, fucking just not doing annoying shit like turning the ball over and then throwing your hands up in the air, acting exasperated at teammates. And, like, the transition, like, how many offensive fouls or just horrible decisions he made in transition? It wasn't even like he was out of control. He would get, like, deer in that. That, that play you described about Grimes, that's what happened to him a lot. He had that um, one where he was just, like, firing he was like firing passes from three feet away from Mitch. And it's like, what the fuck do you expect Mitch to do with that? Like, yeah. what? And people are like, oh, Mitch has to get better. I'm like, sure, Mitch has to get better. But, like, we he's know what Mitch is. Noel. Give him a catchable pass. Well, also, like, we know what Mitch is. And he's been playing with Mitch for four fucking years. Like, what did he expect? Is the, all of a sudden, Mitch was going to, like, turn Wrong. into some. Yeah, he's <laughs> going to turn into, like, Jokic in the middle of a fucking Heat series. Like, come on, man. We don't need to, like, like we can be, we could say Mitch needs, it would be nice if Mitch was better at certain things. But we also need to understand Mitch's. Uh, largely what Mitch is, and Randall knows exactly what Mitch is, so he should probably not just be firing fucking fastballs at him ten, three feet away. But, I mean, but I think we both agree. Like, And the other question is this, right? I think it's fair to say that I don't think the game has passed Tibbs by, but is he a good playoff coach? Like, when's the last time you won, because of his adjustments, they won an important playoff series? I can think of that one where, like, maybe everyone was injured in Chicago and they beat the Nets, I think it was. Um, um, and they made it around with like just everyone hurt, um, which was you know a testament I think to his coaching ability. But like he's I, I don't think they beat the Cavs because he outcoached uh, Bickerstaff. Like I mean I think Bickerstaff didn't. Do he did, he did outcoach him though. To be fair, he did outcoach him. And and his adjustments in that series, um, at least I don't agree with a lot of the rotation stuff he ended up doing. But but the guard guard screens. Yeah, the tactical thing. the tactical choices he made were good. His game plan defensively was excellent. I mean, and it's easy to be like, well, of course you're going to leave this fucking guy wide open. But I think 
the degree to which they sold out to make it happen, um, he he deserves credit for that. But like to your point, you know, look, we all wanted Cleveland for a reason. Like we all wanted Cleveland that matchup for a reason because it was a really good matchup for the Knicks. Do like I think the Knicks could have beaten Philly in a series. Do I actually think Tibbs? And it's funny because Doctor Rivers uh, similarly not not a well regarded playoff coach. But I don't think like Tibbs would have coached us to a victory in a series against him. Um, and that's might that. be what it takes, also, right? If you think the roster is good enough, at least in an East where there's no clear contender, that might be what it takes. It's like having like it. it who who got out of the East? The team with the best coach, right? Um, I think Malone is one of the better coaches in the West too. So it, when there is so much parity, that's what can give you the edge. And if you're just seeing that it's not happening, that's why I think that it might be like Tibbs might be the guy who gets, or maybe it's both Tibbs and Randall. You know, if they both struggle in the playoffs, um, I think that what makes it unfortunate is like that's why you really wish they would have had a pick this year because if they could have taken someone who potentially could be a Randall replacement. Now, if you trade Randall, so you don't you got rid of Obi. Um, there's no young power forwards in the pipeline really that would also make it a difficult situation which also leads me to believe like that's why i think tibbs would probably be the first guy to go and then you say is there another guy who can get something more out of randall in the playoffs by using it more creatively i also think if quickly and grimes perform as poorly especially if quickly gets extended uh, i would expect to see them shot more aggressively yeah i mean i think next summer feels like a time where a lot of things should come to a head um in terms of like decisions big moves to be made with the roster and all that type of stuff but and i'm, I'm yeah. converse if they outperform let's say they do get to the ecf or in the nba finals do you think that would be the impetus to be aggressive as well like do you think they're just going to be aggressive no matter what i think the timeline the way their cap and the team is structured and everything it, it kind of would put them in a position where they can or maybe even should be really aggressive but uh look if they get to the eastern conference finals you know let's say they lose to like milwaukee, milwaukee in six games it's competitive six game series you know where a couple of those games maybe they can turn they they could have turned a different way right i don't know like it depends on how you again so we can't the end result doesn't tell us everything right so like let's say they do that and but rj's terrible in the playoffs well then, yeah, you're probably still going to be interested in upgrading RJ. But let's say they do that, and RJ and quickly and Grimes instead of being terrible are good, and Randall instead of being god awful is like solid. Like I don't know, are you? Do you really want to like start making big significant roster changes? And I, I don't think so, right? Like I think you'd be like, well, look, we, you know, we went from surprising first round, surprising playoff team losing five games in the first round, take a step back to second round exit to third like you know conference finals exit like we have a team where the guys ages are kind of primed you know they're all heading into their prime if you can bring back hartenstein you're bringing back the team more or less like and and you hopefully will have picks next year so you can at least start replenishing your pipeline um for like you know potential down the future stuff so i you lose in the eastern conference final in six games so a team, it's it would be more than likely that it'll be to a team whose best player is better than yours, right? It'll, it'll either most likely be Tatum or Giannis or. Well, what if it's what if what if it's Miami? Do you think? Because <laughs> yeah. did did you did you think that I didn't come away from that Miami series this year yeah. thinking Brunson was worse than Jimmy? I actually thought he outplayed him. Now 
I know Jimmy was hurt and whatever, but like end of the day, I, I didn't come away from that series being like the Knicks best guy just it was not on the same level as the Heat best guy. I think they beat us on the margins. And I came away from that series thinking, one, if Randall is anywhere near what we thought Randall can or will or should be, uh, we would have won it. And two, if Tibbs, even with the struggles of various role players, like quickly, you know, obviously quickly got hurt. Grimes started the, 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 the series hurt. Even with that, I think if Tibbs makes some better decisions, we could have won that series too. So like, to me, I, I just don't, I don't know how you could make an Eastern Conference Finals and the takeaway from that would be like, we need to make a big fucking move right now. And I think when teams do that, a lot of times I think it, it goes against them. Like, I, I don't know if you remember this one back in the day, but the Magic make the NBA Finals, right? What did they do that offseason? The, the Dwight Howard game? Yeah, they traded for Vince Carter. And everybody fucking loved that trade. Loved that trade. I remember them making it and I'm like, I don't know. I I get it. Vince Carter is obviously better than what, what the fuck was even the trade? I think it was like Courtney Lee and some other. Courtney Lee who famously famously missed that tip in that maybe would have changed. Great it. Courtney Lee, just a phenomenal clutch player, incredible mid range shooter. Uh, <laughs> um, and and I just think like it, it didn't end up pushing them to where we would have thought. You know, um, so it was Vince Carter. And Ryan Anderson for yeah. Skip to my Lou, aka Rafer Alston, Tony Batia, and Courtney Lee. No picks were involved either. Um, and I yeah. mean, but Carter was also kind of diminishing at that point in his career, right? Yeah, Carter wasn't exactly what he was. Ryan Anderson actually ended up being a nice little piece they got, but they didn't even retain him. I don't even remember him playing a significant role on that. Magic I just remember, team. like, for the next five years, every white stretch four or five wasn't very strong, and the draft was like, to Ryan Anderson, like the standard. Yes. Yeah, I guess I, I don't know. Maybe I mean maybe that was a bad example because this trade is actually like a lot. Yeah, and a lot of these issues were just Dwight. Well, and the the, the weird right. thing though too is like in hindsight, it's like oh well, of course you do this, but like Courtney Lee was a rookie, right? Like yeah. he he used so you're trading after his rookie year. He had a good rookie year. He had a really good rookie year. Aside from his, I mean, and he had a brain front of the finals. You know, we just talked about like is it that big of a deal that like, quickly and Grimes didn't play well in the playoffs? You know, like I. It's okay if fucking Courtney Lee missed a shot in the NBA Finals as a rookie. Um, it's it felt oh yeah yeah and I just felt, well, it was more impactful about how like that whole series could have changed. I'm not trying to kill right. Courtney Lee for that. No 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 no. Like, of course of course they were. So people think of it as a blowout. Oh, four one like that was a that was a pretty solid you know that, you know, that was a better team I think. Solid gentleman sweep. Um, but like no, I, and obviously Courtney Lee was. You're trading a guy for his rookie year who was a really good player for you. That's not an insignificant move. The point is, though, like, it's re- again, it's so hard. Even when you're winning on But I mean, on the flip trades. side, like, is, is Randall R. DeRozan? That's kind of the question. Because they, they had to ultimately move on from him, and it hurt a lot they of did. feelings. And, yeah, and I mean, look, if, if, you can, yeah. if you can trade, if, if some, for some fucking reason, Jason Tatum is so pissed off in Boston, and, and you can get Jason Tatum for like, Literally, fucking it Randall price, and yeah. uh, and like you know, I don't know. Fucking was it Mitch. Pirtle they traded right? They traded yeah, it was Pirtle, Pirtle. Randall yeah. and DeRozan and yeah, one and a first and a yeah, and a first round pick for for Tatum. Sure, like yeah, I'll do that. But if you were in a position where like you're having to give up multiple core rotation pieces and picks, like I don't know, it's a lot harder once you reach a certain level, especially because. 
like we t- like a lot of that final stage stuff, right? In the conference finals, in the finals, um, yeah, it comes down to a lot of times who has the better player, but it also can just be like small, like specific end game decisions that cost you in moments, and they're like coin flips. And the weakest right? like, link, link theory, right? Do, who who yeah. has the least exploitable? And that could be a player, it could be a you know a scenario or something. But yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, just, that's all. That's it's just that there's a lot of it's it's tough to to pull the trigger. I think at that point, I, I I would probably be inclined not to. And you know, again, if the team is improving and the guys on your team have improved to the point where you're now a conference finalist, it's not. I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense to just be like, no, we'll we'll roll with this. All right, we've been going on for way too long for an August podcast. Uh, Stacy, let the people know where they can find you and uh, plug anything you'd like to plug. Yeah, um, you can find me at Stacy Fan eighty nine. Um, I will plug an article that just dropped on the Strickland today, written by Andrew Steele um, on RJ Barrett. Really great deep dive. Uh, Drew does some fantastic statistical analysis um, and. It's all about R.J. Barrett and, and, you know, the outlook going forward. I think it's a pretty optimistic piece. Um, I really liked it a lot. I know we put a lot of work into it. And uh, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I think uh, you'll enjoy that article. If you check it out. Um, yeah, good piece by, by our good buddy, Doug. Uh, I enjoyed it. I will plug that. Uh, you can find me in St. Louis, Louis, rolling on dubs. <laughs> uh no, you can definitely not ever find me doing any of that. No, find me on Twitter at Twinipoo. Um but yeah, other than that, I'll just plug all the work to Strickland, check out our website, check out the store again. Uh give us a follow on Instagram, give us a follow on the YouTube, that'd be a huge help to us. Um and aside from that, shout out to Bet Online for sponsoring this wonderful, wonderful podcast. Alright, that is our show for today. I hope everybody has a great week, and I will see you on Friday.
Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini yeah, it's fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.